Hey, before we start the episode, I want to let everybody know that we're going to take a break within the episode. And in that break, I'm going to go over the winners of the Top Gun Maverick Blu-ray physical copy winners. Also have a new contest for the movie Medieval. So I got five digital codes that I'm going to be giving out for that movie next week. I'm going to give you the details on how you can enter, but stick around. Listen to this episode. We talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It was a great episode. I had a great time, but stick around in this episode. Going to go over the winners again for Top Gun Maverick. These are physical copies we're going to be mailing to you, as well as five digital codes for the Ben Foster movie Medieval. All right, guys, enjoy. All my life, been grinding all my life. Hustle paid the price. All my life, grinding all my life. They came from the water. They had superhuman strength. He's coming for the surface world. That can't be good. Now is our time to strike. Show them who we are. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, 3 PG-13, only in theaters November 11th. Get tickets now. Episode 444. There's already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before We don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids It's a trap! Good it toss it, good it taste Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carryover, counterculture, pushovers Pop culture Leftovers. Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the Leftovers. And yes, welcome to our Black Panther, what kind of forever spoiler episode. This is the episode where we're going to be spoiling the movie. Earlier in the week, had a reaction episode uh, that uh, Connor, myself, and uh, Joe Stark recorded. And now we're back to go over Black Panther, what kind of forever spoilers. Jake, I'm really excited to talk about this movie, finally. Yeah, me as well, me as well. This is one we've been waiting for for a long time. There's been a ton of intrigue around this movie, just, you know, dealing with the uh, aftermath of what happened to Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of this. Absolutely. We are not alone. We have a, we have quite the roundtable for this one. Uh, we've got Joe Stark from StarkCast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. We've also got Tristan Brown. Welcome, Tristan. Hey, happy to be here as well. We've got Stephanie Chapman from the Scenic Cast Movie Reviews Podcast. Welcome, Stephanie. Let's rock and roll. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> I just love I, I lo- no, I love the enthusiasm and I love your catchphrase. I just like reacting awkwardly to it for that moment. <laughs> but I still love it. I don't want you to take it away. Never stop okay. doing it, Stephanie. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, we've also got Dre Moore from Podcast Championship Wrestling. Welcome, Dre. Hey, what it do, PCL crew? Happy to have you, Dre. And finally, finally joining us on the podcast, we've got Nana Pratt from Blurreds R Us. Welcome, Nana. Wakanda forever! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that in the theater, and I... Oh, I and on, <laughs> Was it the I, south side of Chicago? Oh my, yeah. Oh my God, you would not believe the looks I got. I was, I was, I was, I was dressed all in white, and I stood up and I did it. And the the, the looks that came my way, you would not believe it. <laughs> I, I heard, "Sit your white ass down." <laughs> Say, did anybody call you a colonizer? Uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, they're gonna call me White Wolf, and they were just like, sit the fuck down, colonizer. <laughs> I walked out of that one and went to the next showing. Um, I would have. Yeah. <laughs> I looked around. And I was like, ah, oh, there's more white people in this theater. I'll do it. We're kind of forever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, synopsis. I didn't really like the the official synopsis for this one because I it was I feel like it was one of the earlier synopsis for the film, and it just they didn't even get into the uh, into the uh, name or of it all. But anyway, Queen Ramonda, Shuri Mbaku Okoye, and the Dora Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening world powers in the wake of King T'Challa's death. As the Wakandans strive to embrace their next chapter, the heroes must band together with the help of War Dog Nakia and Everett Ross and forge a new path for the kingdom of Wakanda. Uh, Black Panther is uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the sequel to Black Panther and the 30th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would say by next year, Disney Plus series will outnumber the, <laughs> the films. That uh, adds up. It, oh. It's directed by Ryan Coogler, who co-wrote the, screen, uh, who's co-wrote the screenplay with Joe Robert Cole. The film stars Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Winston Duke, Florence Kasumba, D- Dominique Thorne, Michael Coel, uh, Tino Chueta, uh, Martin Freeman, Julia Louise Dreyfus, and Angela Bassett. Uh, there is no Daniel Kaluuya in the movie. Um, he was, uh, f- he turned it down and, and filmed Nope. Um, so yeah, no, uh, no Daniel Kaluuya in this movie. Hopefully he'll be coming back for Black Panther 3. Hopefully they can make that work. But, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has a runtime of two hours and 41 minutes. With an estimated budget of two hundred and fifty million dollars, I did see that it had a, an A cinema score, so that's good. Um, I feel like uh, didn't uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness have a B plus, and I feel like Thor: Love and Thunder had a B. Yeah. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, so finally we got an A here, but uh, we're going to be jumping into spoilers for this one, so I am going to be playing the spoiler warning. 
This is a Pop Culture Leftovers spoiler warning. Today's forecast calls for spoilers straight in your dickhole. You have been warned, spoiler pussies. All right, so I want us to actually just jump into our ratings for this movie. If this is your first time listening, this is our official rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. Uh, I uh, I rated the uh, movie after my first watch on our reactions episode, and I gave it a high taste it. And um, on second viewing, I am changing my rating. I'm actually going with a Tupperware this time. And I feel the, and the, the biggest reason for me is I, I do feel like I do feel like there are problems with that third act and the action scenes. And I will and you guys can tell me that that, that I'm wrong here. I, I think that they take away from a few things in that third act as far as some of the action is concerned. When 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 they've been kind of touting this rematch between Okoye and Atuma the entire time, and then we're bouncing between that fight with Namora fighting Ironheart and then also bouncing to Shuri fighting Namor and then back and forth, back and forth. It really felt like the, the, the rematch between Atuma and Okoye really wasn't like a big highlight. I would have just liked to have seen that fight happen and then get to like our main event. So I had problems with it bouncing back and forth because it really felt like it took away from like this match, this rematch that they had been kind of like, you know, building up towards the entire movie. And so that third act had its problems there. What I liked more upon my second watch was the character arc and journey that Shuri took. Um, I think it really hit me a lot harder the second time watching it. I think like the first time watching it, it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm at, I'm at a critic screening. I'm getting to see this for the first time. It's a, it's a lot coming at me. And so, um, I, but I really, on the second watch, if I kind of like just isolate what's happening to Shuri in this moment and what she's going through as far as the decisions that she has to make being the new Black Panther, I mean, the movie starts with her playing, uh, praying to 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 the panther goddess Bass to save her brother, and if she does, then you know she'll she'll believe, and you know that doesn't happen. So she's just basically like she she's basically just wanting to, you know, she she's listening to what Namor's saying about the world burning, and then we know who she talks to when she goes to the ancestral plane and what she has to deal with there. And it just feels like she, all these things should lead her to to kill him at the end of the movie. And yet she gets the same line that Ramonda gave T'Challa in the first movie, show him who you are. And it just hit me, man. And then when when she puts on that suit and she, you know, kind of dives bomb, dive bombs into like the Jabari's throne room there with with uh, M'Baku, you know, talking to all the other Wakandans and she comes down and they play that fucking score. I was just like, okay, 
I can I you know what? I'm down with Shuri being the Black Panther. She she took on as a meaningful of an arc as T'Challa did in the first one in a lot of ways. And it worked the second time for me. It just kind of clicked. So I'm giving it a Tupperware. Uh, I just wish that they would have been able to focus, I think, singularly on some of the battles that were going on. I really didn't even care about the Namora Ironheart battle. Like that really, you know, that could have really taken a back burner. But it was, it, I think they took away from the Okoye fight, you know, with her and the, the Atuma match. Because I really wanted to see that. And they kept bouncing back and forth. And I felt like the end of it, I just didn't get the satisfaction that I really wanted out of that that whole rematch that they had. Um, but uh, as far as the Shuri arc, I think it fucking worked. So I'm flipping and I'm giving this a Tupperware now on second watch and on third watch. Cause I've, the second time I saw this, um, I saw it in IMAX 3d and some of the problems that I had with some of the CG uh, in my first viewing, it like the Ironheart suit looked great in IMAX 3d. Then I watched it again today, just on a regular screen, and it still looked a little weird and um, not so great. But um, I'm flipping my rating. I'm at a Tupperware for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So that is where I'm at. I, you know, the last two movies, I've stuck with my rating right out of the theater. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, stuck at a high taste it. Thor, Love and Thunder, stuck at a taste it. This one, there's some brilliance in the writing here from Ryan Coogler. And so it, I'm bumping it up. It's a Tupperware. Joe, where are you at with your rating for Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Okay, I have seen this movie one time so far as all. I, I watched it earlier this morning, so the movie's still very fresh in my mind. And I've been just thinking about it nonstop all day. Um, you really hit the nail on the head when you were talking about how good the writing is in this movie, because I was really, really blown away. Um, now, one of the the biggest things that this movie had to do for me was it had to not only act as a sequel to Black Panther, but it also had to be like a fitting memorial for for Chadwick Boseman, like a, a send off for him. And and then also tastefully bringing in a new character. So, I mean, Ryan Coogler had to. He had to keep a lot of plates spinning to make this movie successful. And at the end, I feel like this was a very successful movie. I All these different just kind of, you know, side characters from the first movie are now just thrust into the spotlight in this movie. And they all did so well in so many different ways. Like Angela Bassett in this movie. I mean, number one, Angela Bassett almost always blows me away. I think she's a phenomenal actor. And what she did in this with with that speech that she gives Okoye – when okay, Okoye comes back, you know, without Shuri, like it, it gave me chills. I was like, God damn, she's just so powerful in that scene. And I, I mean, all the other characters in this, I thought Riri Williams was great. I'm looking, really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do in, in her series. I thought there was some really great comedic moments with Everett Ross. And I, and I liked what they did with flushing out his character and how she's connected to, or how he's connected to Val. Um, I, I liked what they did with M'Baku. Uh, Namor in this really blew me away, though. The MCU has just been doing such a good job of flushing out these villains and making them their own hero of their own story. And, you know, when you step outside of their shoes, you can see what they're doing is actually pretty horrific. But in their shoes, they're they're absolutely doing the right thing. And they knocked it out of the park with Namor here. And, and um, 
how do you pronounce the actor's name? Is it Tenoch Huerta? Uh, Tinoch, I think it's Tinoch Huerta. Okay, he he knocked my socks off, dude. Because one moment he's just so he's so endearing, and and, and it's it's like almost there's like a vulnerability to him, and it's like you can trust him, but then it's like you say the wrong thing, and this darkness just comes over his face, dude. The scene that and, I'm thinking of is like when he's like standing in front of uh, Queen Ramonda, and he's like, yes. I will, I will kill your daughter, and then I will come back and I will kill you. Like, whoa. <laughs> it's such darkness coming out of him and he's so threatening. But then when you think of the scene, when he, when he's first talking with Shuri in, in their down underwater and stuff, and it's just like, wow, he just seems so nice and, and affable and like non, non-threatening. And so, I mean, this was, this was just a, another tier for me of, of MCU baddies, not just being some mustache twirling villain, but actually being somebody with substance and depth to him. And and they did that perfectly with Killmonger in the first movie, and then they do it again with Namor in this one. And I was it just blew me away. Um but yeah, this one is a Tupperware for me. It's I love this movie. I can't wait to watch it again. I feel like this is a movie to where the more you watch it, the more little things you're going to be able to pick out in it. Just because it's one of those movies where it's really kind of an ensemble cast. It's like they're I mean, sure, Shuri's kind of the lead in this, but Queen Ramonda's also kind of the lead. And, and so many other characters are are the lead in this. It, it really is just kind of a uh, – I'm blanking on the – right. Thank you. An ensemble, ensemble group effort, yeah. And, and everybody pulled their weight in it so well. And th- I do have minor little gripes here and there about it. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the way that, that Ironheart's like – final suit looked i i thought it was very animated looking but maybe i just need to see it a little bit more um and there's such minor gripes that when i think about other mcu movies that i've tupperware i can pick up minor gripes in those as well and so this this for me it's it's one of the the best movies i've seen in phase four it's it's right up there with shang chi for me and and shang chi's another one that had a fantastic sympathetic villain that you could really feel for and um, so yeah, this is, if this had to be, you know, it is the last film in phase four. And for me, it it went out on a very high note. I, I loved this movie. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, you kind of understand why Namor is so protective and why he can, you know, be evil so quickly when he's worried about Talakan being threatened. It's like because you go down there and you see all the smiling kids, you know, and it's not like he's down there and just brooding the entire time. Like, I believe like he's formed relationships and loved these people over, you know, the centuries. And it's if something is threatening that it's going to bring out the bad in him. Right. So it's like that's what makes his villain so incredible to me. Um, Tristan, what did you think? Okay. Um, so we all knew from the beginning that Brian Cooler had this very difficult task on hand. He had mentioned rewriting the script was one of the most difficult things he had ever had to do in his entire career. And we all knew that no matter what, you know, this was going to be a challenge. And um, we just wanted the movie to be good. And, you know, I wasn't sure how well we would handle a Black Panther film without the best part of Black Panther. And, um, you know, I my rating actually changed between viewings. Um I'll start with the positives. Um, similar to the first Black Panther, I thought that it really did very well on the technical components. For instance, um, Ryan Coogler, I think he's just a 
fucking superb director. I just love the way that he moves the camera and, you know, that one shot in the very beginning, how it's, the camera's just frantically going around the, the lab. It almost makes you feel like you're this nervous, you know, person in the lab with Shuri trying to figure out the cure. And, um, you know, there's some really gorgeous shots in the film, the underwater shots. I think that Kugler did a better job of shooting underwater actors than James Wan did in Aquaman. Um, I just liked that the world looked more realistic under there. And the cinematography, I think, was better than the first film. Um, you know, the saturated cover colors that were like the political thrillers in Winter Soldier and Civil War. Um, the music score. Um, I'm not sure if I like the score better than the first film, but it's it's up there. I mean, Ludwig Göransson, you know, it's just so powerful and, and it's so there. You know, you just notice it and it stands out. Um, the soundtrack, um, the song... Um, Con La Brisa, which is the song that's playing when they're introducing Talacan, I think is just a gorgeous song. Um, the, the visual effects um, were an improvement on the first film. Um, I'm going to be really shocked if, if the movie doesn't win or, or at least get Oscar nominations for those technical components like the costuming and, you know, uh, production design and stuff like that. Um, the cast was acting their ass off. Um, as you guys both mentioned, as um, Joe and Brian mentioned, that you know angela bass is to stand out but it's just a great ensemble it's like everybody came to play it's like you know like almost like watching like a sports team when like their their star player gets injured right and like the everyone who's a supporting cast has to come off and and give their best you know that's what it felt like watching and um the humor i thought was very well um dispersed throughout the movie it wasn't one of those those films where you know the the humor's just so over the top it was like weaved in so um just just weaved in so so naturally to where it didn't seem forced or anything like that you know just a a great tonal shift to what we used to love about some of these marvel films and i thought the passing of chadwick was was handled so well it was a you know proper acknowledgement but it wasn't like it dragged the film down it wasn't like this overabundance of sadness and and grief that we felt throughout the entire film it was like placed in like the right parts um, Namor, uh, definitely one of the best Marvel villains that we've seen, I would say. Um, I love the way that Tenoch Huerta um, played him. It seemed like he was, I think Joe mentioned that he was, he can go from being very menacing and dark and then just very charming and endearing and, and gentle at the drop of a hat. And that was, that takes a lot of skill. And that's like the dichotomy that really is Namor the Submariner. Like that's what the character is. He's He's an anti-hero who can play both sides of the fence. And, you know, I loved um, the visuals, you know, when he would swim across the air and skate over the, the aircrafts. And there was a couple shots of, you know, where I thought the wing feet looked a little silly, but most times I thought that worked. Um, Patricia Wright, um, I knew she didn't take this role thinking that she was going to be a lead. And Marvel certainly didn't think that she was going to ever be a lead, I'm sure. Um, and just to be asked to just all of a sudden carry this, this, this franchise is, I mean, that's something that would make anybody freaking quake in their boots. And, and she really stepped up to the challenge. I'm, I can't say that she stepped up to deliver us a Black Panther character that's on the level of a Chadwick Boseman, but you have to just realize that Chadwick Boseman was not your standard actor. I mean, this guy is just, you know, he's, he's in a, 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 a He's just on a different level, and it's hard to really um, match that type of charisma, that type of presence that 
he was bringing. And though she didn't, in my opinion, live up to what he brought to it, you know, she definitely, I can see her giving this glimpse of, of that. And I think you mentioned, Brian, that you had an appreciation for the character arc that she had. Um, I, it wasn't until that third act hit that I was like, oh, shit, this is the Sharia origin story. <laughs> you know, it like just really hit me. And you can see that transformation through the three acts. You can see how different she is in the first act compared to the last act. By the last act, I mean, her shoulders are are broader. Like she's like walking with a swag. She kind of embodies Chadwick a little bit in the in the third act. Um, and and it has a lot more confidence and, you know, exuberance of a leader. And and it was just so well done as far as just seeing that transformation before our eyes. We didn't even know we were getting it. It just happened, you know. And um, Riri Williams, I really enjoyed the actor that p- portrayed her. You know, I loved her um, relationship with Shuri and the differences in their personalities, even though they're both tech geniuses. Um, some of my co- my um, cons and gripes were that, you know, Chadwick Boseman, obviously his presence was missed in the, the film. Um, I felt it could have been edited a little tighter, um, the Everett Ross and, and Val stuff, I think, could have um, – it, it seems like it was more so setting up Secret Invasion more than anything. And um really love um, Martin Freeman, but, you know, it just seemed that he was kind of a side story that's setting up the Disney Plus series for the most part. But I'm, I, uh, I'm going to stop you here real quick. I want to talk later. I really think that that stuff is setting up a lot of what we're going to see in uh, – uh, Thunderbolts and in Black Panther three possibly, yeah. But we'll talk about that yeah. later. Okay. Yeah, um, and I, I really enjoy the Riri Williams, but you know, I it, it's just I felt the film could have just been edited a little tighter. I think there's maybe about ten minutes, twelve minutes that could have been shaved off a little bit. Um, but that's just nitpicking, you know. Like Joe was saying, like it's just not necessarily something that brought me down. Um, I thought that or the uh, Talacan origin flashback, you know, uh, that wasn't the strongest part for me. I thought M'Baku could have been given a little bit more to do. Um, I did not like the Midnight Angel costume design. Um, and I didn't like, uh, I wasn't, I thought that the uh, Riri Williams uh, Ironheart costume could have looked a little more lived in. Um, I would have preferred that a little bit more than the glossy animated look that it was given. But overall, it's just nitpicking. And it didn't like, really bring me down to like say that this is a movie that's not outstanding you know and so i was after my first view and i was coming out of there uh with a high taste of thinking like okay this was wrong this was wrong that was wrong and then like i saw this you know on um, the subsequent viewing and it was just i was able to just kind of sit and just like really admire like what ryan googler did and put together and it's like inspiring it's like like, how the hell did this come together like this? It's like all these technical components where not just the actors, but just hundreds of people set design and everyone just like really firing on all cylinders. And, you know, it's needless to say, it's a fucking top of work for me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had yeah. the same kind of like I gave it a high taste on my first one, but I, I did come out of that first viewing saying that, you know, Ryan Coogler is definitely going to be in discussions for me for like when we give our Tupperware award show, like what he pulled off was just incredible. So yeah, we're at three Tupperwares. This is awesome. Uh, Jake, where are you at with uh, Black Panther Wakanda forever? Uh, yeah. You know, when they first made the announcement that they were not going to recast um, Black Panther, I was all about it. I thought it was the right decision. 
And between them making that decision and the movie coming out, I think I've mentally kind of 180'd about it. Like I was just like more and more I started thinking, man, this is going to be such a somber affair. Maybe it would have been better if they just would have recast the character. And that was really the way I was leaning up until seeing this movie. And um, I'm going to be honest with you. I've only seen this movie once. Um, I was planning to see it twice. I was going to go Thursday and then go again on Friday. And to be a bit personal, Thursday was my deceased mom's birthday, and I was just in a funk all day, and I, I just couldn't bring myself to it. I was like, I can't go watch this funeral for Chadwick Boseman right now today. I'm just not in the mental state to see this movie today. And even when Friday came, I still really kind of drug my feet. I was telling Michelle, I've never, I've never been more excited for a movie, but more scared to go see a movie in all my life. And, you know, I just kind of buckled down, went and saw it. And I, I just loved this movie. I, it, it was almost like a cathartic release. It was so warm and nice to be back in Wakanda. I kind of, it's been a while since I've seen Black Panther and I just forgot how visually rich that world was and how, just how great it felt to be there. Um, and yeah, this movie made me an emotional wreck, but I mean, I Tupperware it. I loved it all the way. Like I listened to you, your guys spoiler cast and you told me what was going to happen with the Marvel logo. Like I knew that was going to happen. And the second it's happening, I'm like sob crying already. And it, it was just so much to see, but it, it really made me feel so much better about everything. I felt I felt stupid about thinking that they should have recast Black Panther after seeing this. I thought what they did with that was just so beautiful and so well done. Um, before seeing the movie, I was anti-Shuri being the Black Panther as well. I, I just didn't like that choice. I thought it was the most obvious and safe choice. And they did such a good job with that journey and how everything went down with it that by the end of it, I was I was fully invested. I, I was surprised at how much I just enjoyed that choice so much. Um, gosh, I thought the movie was just so emotional. And I thought it was going to be emotional just because of the you know, what happened to Chadwick stuff, but there were so many other moments that had nothing to do with that. That just had me just in tears. Honestly, the scene when Okoye puts her spear down probably had me crying more than anything in the entire movie. Um, you know, what happens with Rwanda was completely shocking. I was blubbering then as well, but yeah. And the villains were so great. The, the Namor portrayal, just, just like Joe said, it knocked my socks off. I thought, the way they introduced the character was so scary and so frightening. And it's like they made it a little bit blurry, like on purpose, just to kind of give you that like visual doubt of what you were even seeing. And it kind of it kind of put you in the shoes of the people that were in that helicopter, like how they never really got a complete look at what what was happening to them. So I, I felt the fear of those pilots. Um Man, I, you know, I hate when they one and done villains, but I was so mad at Namor that I literally turned to Michelle and was like, I hope Shuri one and done's this motherfucker. Like, I, I just wanted him <laughs> gone for what he did. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's the sign of a good villain. Not that I was like, oh, I never want to see this character on the screen again. I was just emotionally upset at this character to a point that I don't think I've ever been with any Marvel villain. Like, I wanted this fucker dead. Um, 
I thought the lighting choices were really bold and interesting throughout this whole movie. There was a lot of a lot of darkness, but it wasn't like a, we need to cover up these bad special effects darkness. I thought there was just bold artistic choices in the in the darkness that they used in the movie. Um, I thought the score was better than the first one. And I also thought they made some bold moves where they completely stripped the movie of score in, in parts that I thought worked really, really well. Um, I mean, we're going to break down all this stuff. I, I thought the the mid credit scene was absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I thought this movie was a masterpiece. I actually like it more than the first Black Panther, and it's probably one of my five favorite Marvel movies. I can barely talk about it without crying. <laughs> wow. I'm hearing that a lot. Mm. I'm hearing a lot of people saying they like it more than the first. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was possible that I could like this movie more than the first one. But, I mean, it was like – like I said, I, I – it was to the point where I didn't want to see this movie and it just came out just feeling like it was such a special experience for me. I can respect that. I could respect that. Oh, man. Yeah. I just, I, I loved the, I loved the third act too. I thought the, um, we've seen that done so many times in movies where they're cutting between like three major action sequences, yeah. but I thought the, the edit choices that cooler made, like we were, how we were seeing like the kinetic hits between two hands switch to another two hands was a, was a different interpretation of splicing together three action sequences that I'd never quite seen in the way it was done before. Um, I do agree that maybe we could have done a little bit more stronger than what was going on with Ironheart. Like Ironheart, I, I liked the character a lot, but it didn't feel like it had the the amount of oomph that it needed to have to be part of that final battle sequence. I, I will definitely concede to that. It might have played a little bit better if it was just Okoye and Shuri. Th- I think that's what took away is like – I. I, I that's one thing that I'm just going to disagree is just, I think bouncing back between that Atuma and Okoye and Ironheart and all that stuff. It just kind of took me out of the whole, like the, the whole rematch of, I just would have liked to seen that fight uncut and maybe done a little bit better. That's just, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little bit scattered with my review. I like have my notes and my bullet points, but I I mean, I just, wolf this movie really, I, I don't think I've ever, felt a gut punch like this movie especially from the mcu maybe ever i know you came well you came out of guardians 2 really shook up man yeah i was really guardians 2 really got me um my dad left when i was three years old and i was raised by my stepdad since i was like five and the stuff with fucking yondu and him telling yondu that he's his real dad and all that stuff like that stuff felt like it was written right towards me like i've literally had that conversation with my stepdad where i'm reassuring him of my love i know there was times when my dad tried to reconnect with me when i was like 19 and 20 and i could tell that he wasn't a fan of that and that was really hurting him and i I had that conversation with him like yeah i know i'm talking to this guy and seeing what he has to say but it's not because you're not doing a good enough job like you raised me you're my father i I love you more than i can ever love this guy i cried after that that, i cried after that movie because i wished my dad would have walked out when i was a child jake (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i just it was just such weird timing for this movie like i hadn't even considered that was going to happen until it was thursday thursday came stupid fucking facebook did like a here's the fucking memories from this year and i'm like fuck now i'm broken and i have to go see this fucking chadwick boseman memorial movie and i don't wanna yeah and i i was like fuck so i apologize for not seeing the movie i i fully plan to see it twice um i know i 
I legendary complain about the length of movies and like this movie's too long. I this movie flew by for me. I don't know how I'll feel after I've seen it five times. But on one viewing, I couldn't believe what time my phone said it was when it was over. It, it felt less than two hours while I was watching it. Uh, I've seen it three times now, and each time it's 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 a great length. I mean, for what they give you, to be quite honest, I, I never felt like it was too long. Yeah, there so. was never once where I was like, let's get to the third act already. Right. I, I yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I love that they played with the intrigue of who the Black Panther was going to be. There was definitely like me and Michelle kept turning to each other and saying, well, it could be this person. It could be that person. It was a lot of fun. Not a hundred percent knowing, even though I think both of us like were 95% sure it was going to be Shuri. There was just enough intrigue to make it fun until it happened. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the wild card of the podcast, which is always <laughs> Stephanie Chapman. <laughs> you can, I'm telling you, man, I, buckle up. Exactly. Seriously. Strap yourselves in and get ready for the review from <laughs> Stephanie Chapman, who you got a it, red dot on you, Stephanie. I'm telling you, man, it's like every time it's like it feels like Stephanie just watched a completely different movie than the rest of us. I'm just like, what What movie were you watching, Stephanie? Stephanie, let's hear from you. What did you think about Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Um, okay, so full disclosure, I only saw the movie one time. I saw it Thursday night, um, and it's. I think it's almost impossible to go into this movie without a set of expectations. It's got. It was. It has to do a lot. It has to continue on with the story of Wakanda and the Black Panther without the key character that made us fall in love with the first movie, and then like be almost like like a love letter memorial to Chadwick Boseman while keeping the audience just as much engaged in the story. Um, I'm up front. I'm giving this movie a high taste it. I, and that may be because I've only seen it once. Um, I really enjoyed it. Let me go to my notes or whatever. Um, I felt as though Shuri becoming the black Panther made sense and I appreciated the way in which they got her to that point but once she was the Black Panther it didn't give what it was supposed to I don't think for me it didn't land the way I think they thought it would land it didn't feel powerful it didn't feel once she was in the suit it didn't feel powerful to me it didn't feel um, it didn't feel commanding in the way that I had hoped that it would um, I also assumed that it would be her. Um, and the way they got there made total sense. I, I don't actually have a problem with the steps they took to get her there. But once she was in the suit and doing Black Panther things, it just didn't hit me the way that I had hoped. This movie had me in tears multiple times. I think for me, I was probably audibly gasping in the theater when Angela Bassett's character their dies and Shuri's like yelling in the background, please help me. And like she and her mom's gone. I can't, even, it, it's just too much. I couldn't do it. Um, I think this, what I loved is that this movie hit all these emotional points. I thought it was a great love letter to Chadwick Boseman. And I think it respected his memory and what he brought to the character. Um, I also feel like I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that this movie is now this, well, at least this film with the passing of Chadwick Boseman is now 
almost com- almost completely a movie led all by women and it's powerful in all the notes that it hits with all of the different aspects of their personalities and these characters that these women are able to bring. I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved that. Um, where it, I thought the film was beautiful. I thought it was like just be- visually stunning. Um, the underwater stuff was great. Um, and I felt like any scene where we get a glimpse of Wakanda with all of its beautiful and vibrant colors is great. I really don't understand why some of the scenes looked so like unfinished. Like there was a scene, some of the earlier scenes where they were being beamed up into the aircraft looked very not, didn't look great of them being physically beamed up. Like when they get closer to the hole in the ship, I didn't, or the whatever it is. And some of the scenes where they're standing like on that, what I think is like that main helipad in Wakanda in front of that big, in front of like the palace. I don't even know what you'd call it. And you can clearly tell that it's green screen and the Wakanda in the background isn't real. Like I know Wakanda is not real. I'm not an idiot, but like, you know what I mean? Like the, you can tell that, I don't know. It just looks, you can almost see like the outline haze around their bodies to show that it's like green screen. And that, that bothers me only because I feel like coming from my, you know, my CGI expert mind, that feels like an easy fix. I know nothing about how that works, but it was quite apparent to me. And so things like that were, those are nitpicky things, but they're things that I noticed. Um, I didn't love the ending battle. It felt, it didn't feel as mature as other ending battles in movies I've felt. And I don't even know if that makes any sense, but I feel like the fighting Although what I appreciate in this movie, like people actually getting stabbed, like people, I know that sounds crazy. Like I don't love murder, but like, I love when like in a, in a, in a battle, you see the actual, you know, I hate when people get shot in a battle and there's no blood and like I, people actually getting stabbed and things like that. I appreciated, but some things felt a little ridiculous. Like when they, like when the Jabari send um, the Dormelage over the side with the ropes attached to I remember that being in the trailer and not putting two to two. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that it didn't do anything for me. The bottle felt like it could have been more dynamic. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Um, I did miss Daniel Kaluuya. I, I hope that he comes back because they mentioned him um, in regards to um, Denai Guerrero's character, whose name I can't place right now. So I hope we see him again. I'd love to see him. I thought his character was a great addition. Um, and... I think some scenes that hit me really well, I'm totally almost done. I like that very first, not the first scene, but Angela Bassett at like that UN summit or whatever that is, reading them for absolute filth and letting them know that she they're two steps ahead. So you've got to get on your game. I loved that. I thought that was great. Um, I like the score a lot. And what I love that this film is continuing to do with Black Panther and just the Black Panther story is these villains are really easy to sympathize with. They're not even know if I call them villains. Killmonger, I didn't agree with what he was doing, but I got his point of view. Like it made sense to me. Like I, you can kind of see where he's pulling that anger from. Same thing with Namor. Like I thought, although I, I, I liked him less than Killmonger, like as a person, like I thought he was more evil. I still can see where his love and his need to protect his people is coming from. Um, and they do that just so beautifully in both of these Black Panther movies. I mean, it's easy to hate some villains. It's not, in my opinion, as easy to hate these these last two villains we've gotten. 
And then I also just want to say, the, I, they're scary. I can't remember what these people are called. Namor's people, him and his people. Talikans. Yeah. I mean, the the score when, like, I can't remember where, it was like, it was almost like horror movie music at one point. I was like, this is scary. And they did such a good job at that buildup. That initial scene where they're taking, they take down, like, the, the ship because they find the drill and they throw the helicopter. And I, I don't know. The way they kind of are, are stealth and then they have people jumping over the side of the ship with the sonic mind read. I can't do it. was just freaky. <laughs> it was so good. Like that <laughs> aspect of the film was amazing for me. I think the one of the only reasons I didn't give it a Tupperware is because the big, big aspect of the film of, Sh- of Shuri come, becoming Black Panther, it, once she was in the suit, it just didn't do much for me. It worked for me on the second viewing, Stephanie. So I'll be curious to see if you come out of your second viewing having a different view of it. So can I counterpoint something Stephanie said real quickly? Yeah. Um, I thought that scene on the I know exactly what scene she was talking about it because I was talking about that scene on the car ride home where they're on the helipad and you're seeing the palace in the background. I actually thought that was a gorgeous shot and a very bold choice by Kugler. Um, I think a lot of times with these backdrops, they make everything look crystal clear 4K HD and the way they kind of made it blurry and hazy to me made it look more real. Hmm. And I think maybe you're used to everything being 4K pristine and a sight to behold than you are to like something being shot like it was a real location. And I thought that was a very interesting choice that the filmmaker did with that shot and not a choice that almost anyone else in the MCU has been making. That's a fair point. Let's hear from Nana. Because <laughs> <laughs> as as everyone was giving their reviews, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I'm gonna be the only one that you know doesn't give it a Tupperware. Um, I'm gonna give this a high taste. It I have seen it once so far. I saw an IMAX 3D. Um, echoing some of you guys' thought that you know it was gonna be a, a task um, to replace Chadwick. Nana, you're cutting out. You're not coming in loud. Hello. There you Let go. Me try that again. I right, have to talk like this. Um, yeah. So, you know, I give it a high taste. It. Um, I I understand the fact that they had a very difficult task to replace Chadwick Boseman. Um, I do agree with Jake in the sense that I think they should have given it a little bit more time, and um, you know, gone on to recast the character. I think initially when everything happened. Everyone was so quick to react and, you know, didn't want to, you know, disrespect um, the actor, um, which obviously led to the, the movie that we got. Um, I, I I did really enjoy it. I just don't think that, for me, it had a, an action set piece quite like the first movie did and then uh, some of the other MCU movies. Um, I didn't think that the music was good as the first one. Um, I think... Um, elements of this movie just echoed too much of the first movie um both movies we started for, with um funerals and deaths and then in this movie we got two deaths and two funerals i thought that was a bit much um i thought that i um the iron heart suit looked like um a gundam um, which had a very anime feel which um 
kind of felt out of place in the MCU. And um, I felt like, I think also listening to this podcast and also doing like a podcast, um, I think there wasn't anything that was a surprise. And I think that also dampens um, the movie going in where you kind of know where they have to go because they're kind of backed into a corner. Um, I didn't feel any sense of dread for any of the characters. Um, we know that Ruby Williams is getting her own TV show, show so we knew that she was going to survive this movie. Um, I do agree somewhat that Akwe and the big guy should have um, had a better fight, but I felt that Mbaku wasn't in it as much, and in a sense, him also being a powerhouse, I think that matchup would have gone better, in my opinion. Um, I also think feel like they missed the opportunity to maybe have him accompany Shuri and Okoye um, in a sense to the West because it would have been interesting to see how he would have responded to being out of Wakanda for the first time um, I did enjoy seeing more of um, the Dora Milaje and um, like seeing um, uh, interesting in the aspect of the older generation not appreciating um, the new technology and the new ideas that the youth will bring. Um, so that was pretty cool and interesting there. Um, I, I need to watch it again. Um, I, I think for me, the things that I didn't particularly enjoy, are, I felt I wish they had like moved on it for a little bit, a little bit quicker. Even though I understand I need to like tell the backstory, was the all the stuff with the the telecons, like. Um, I just felt for me anyway anytime I was watching any of the thing underwater I was just like oh this looks pretty good like maybe Avatar 2 is going to be good as well because it just kept on um, making me think of that and I also felt that in the in the final battle that Shuri is supposed to be like one of the smartest individuals in in the MCU I felt like her tactics and her plans wasn't the best. Um, and it amused me that literally at the end, all the Wakandans died other than, you know, the, the core group that we, you know, we were, we were following. Um, so again, I just added that. Didn't fear that these characters, any of them would um, perish, so to speak. And um, yeah, I'm curious to see where they take it forward. I thought the uh, Everett Ross stuff was interesting. Um, and as you mentioned, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, I just, I just waited more. Um, and it, it, I, right now, on one viewing, I, I just can't give it a Tupperware, Adam. All right, our, our, yeah, our hopes at a Tupperware party have been dashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to, but like. I know it's not their fault, and they were between a rock and a hard place. I, I think whatever storyline they chose, or whatever direction they went with, like some people would be happy and others would be upset. Um, they were, they weren't. It was a lose lose situation. Mm. Um, and again, like I, I understand they got to do marketing, but certain things should not have been in the trailer just to let audience experience it for the first time. Um, I think, and again, it's not their fault. Le- leakers 
you know, are very good at wiggling that information, but they, sh- you know, should have tried even more to like keep under wraps who the Black Panther was going to be, uh, who um, was going to appear in the um, I can't remember what the, what the, in the ancestral plane. Uh, I didn't like um, when uh, Ramonda almost appeared in the astral plane because for me it didn't kind of fit in with what I know to be um, how the ancestral plane works in terms of that for me I took it as only people that have been the Black Panther um, can be there so that was a bit you know off for me um, I again I'm, I'm surprised you high tasted it so am I, bro. Bro, like, if you, I don't think I No, I mean, I thought you were going to, but the way you sound, you should go lower. No, 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 no. No, I, I definitely <laughs> really enjoyed it. No, no, no. I definitely really enjoyed the movie. Um, the, the nitpicks are just more of a you know, personal choice in terms of it's hard to do a Black Panther movie in a sense without T'Challa. You know yeah. what I mean? I know we got Shuri as the Black Panther in the end. But like, I wanted more stories with T'Challa's vision version of Black Panther. Obviously, I know that's going to be very hard to do out the actor that brought that to light. But you know, that's- I think the most surprising thing that you said, Nana, to me was the lack of stakes in the end. Because um, for my experience, once they killed Ramonda, other than Ironheart, I thought anything could happen. I literally thought Shuri could die at the end. Nah, yeah. I didn't think so because you need you need you need a black platform moving forward, and the fact that it's kind of almost been set up for, and again, we'll have to wait and see what happens in in the third movie and the TV show, where it ended up with um, <clears throat> Baku challenging for the throne. Um, I took it more as that Shuri is just having a little bit of a holiday and she'll be back, um, and not you know vacating Wakanda completely. Um, so again, that would just something interesting to see further down the line. Um, and yeah, Daniel Kaluuya's character was missed, but again, Brian explained why that that occurred. Uh, we just see if he comes back. And um, yeah, that's just my surface thoughts, and uh, we'll get into it a little bit more. Open it up. Yeah, let's hear from Dre, and then we're gonna start unpacking this movie and uh, exploring it a little bit more. Dre, what are your thoughts? Okay. Um... Ah, so much. Um, I've seen this movie twice. I saw it Thursday night and Friday as well. Um, my expectation going into seeing it Thursday was that, or wanting to, the reason why I wanted to see it twice because I was going in expecting to see this incredible, awesome movie that I was just going to absolutely love and just couldn't wait to see it again. So that's what I was thinking going in. But as it turns out, the first viewing for me was all about just feeling the movie and just letting the emotions and everything just completely take me over knowing what, knowing what this movie was going to be in terms of dealing with Chadwick Boseman and all that. So my first viewing, I just let everything emotionally take me over and go along that ride. And it absolutely hit me at all the um, expected moments that opening uh, Marvel sequence where it was just complete silence with the images of Chadwick, immediate emotions, and just it hit me. And Ramonda's death, and 
other such moments, all of those just hit one after the other. So walking out of the first viewing, I was at a high tasted. I was I was full of thoughts and and still processing everything that I had seen. So I was only at a high tasted the first time. Walking out of it, having seen it the second time, I was able to, knowing that what was going to come, I was able to pay attention to the storyline more and the technical aspects and the <clears throat> the narrative that Ryan Coogler was presenting to us. I was able to appreciate some of the themes that he was giving to us in terms of themes of uh, life and legacy and sisterhood. So after my second viewing, I upped my rating to a Tupperware. Um, I thought the act, all the principal actors absolutely brought their A games to these roles, especially Angela Bassett and her role as the Queen Ramonda. She brought so much power to her performance from the moment we see her and the, uh, the UN hall where she, as Stephanie said, read them for filth and gave them that speech. And just as soon as she walked in the room, she had so much power and strength and dignity, but then she could also be warm and comforting in the scenes where she interacted with Shuri as her daughter, but then could also immediately flip and turn the strength right back on when confronting Namor. And she completely brought it. One of my favorite scenes in the movie was actually when Namor was attacking Wakanda and tried to, um, uh, tried to stab, I guess, tried to break through the glass with, with his uh, spear. And Ramonda just stood there and stared him down and didn't flinch for one moment. And that, that moment gave me chills. Letitia Rice, she brought her A-game to the role as, <clears throat> and this is very much her story. That was something I was able to appreciate in my second viewing is how much this was very much her story and her journey from, as you said in the beginning, praying to Bost for the strength to save her brother and being unable to do that and being in this dark place and to see where she comes out in the end, having almost complete, having given in to vengeance, but then coming out of it at the, at the last moment, her story was her story arc. I thought was great. And Letitia Wright acted her ass off in the performance. Same for Denai Guerrero as Okoye. Same for Lupita Nyong'o and as um, in her performance. Everybody brought it when they needed to for those moments. And Ryan Coogler also knew when to let us breathe, which I thought was he, he used uh, Riri Williams very well in this movie as a bit of light as a more of a lighter character to be injected where we needed that in between these heavier scenes. Yeah, I thought he used her very excellent, very, very, very well, as well as uh, M'Baku, who kind of took a bit of a backseat to the, to the four leading women in this film. And he was used to great effect as well, also to help break up some of the heavier scenes. Um, I have... There were some minor gripes as well. I kind of agree with you, Brian, that the third act, uh, the final battle felt a little kinetic and kind of unfocused a bit from where it 
from jumping between three major fights. Yes, I would have much. I would have preferred to see much more, a little bit more focus on uh, Okoye's fight and her rematch. Um, I agree with everyone else that Riri's suit kind of felt out of place. Nana, you nailed it, saying it had an anime look to it and looked like a Gundam, and absolutely did, which <laughs> kind of felt kind of felt weird given that when we when we see her in the scene where she's making the suit it seems very it harkens back to like to um the first iron man to me in a sense and with tony stark when he was making his suit in the cave it felt very you know raw and mechanical in terms of how she was doing it in terms of how she was making the suit but then when we see it it's this like this polished porsche of a suit that kind of stuff felt disjointed but again those are minor nitpicks in terms of the whole thing um Again, the the first viewing for me was about feeling everything and the emotion. The second time was about appreciating the story and the technical achievement that this movie absolutely was. And for me, yeah, it's a Tupperware. I'm glad we ended on Dre with his Tupperware as opposed to... <laughs> Whew, that was... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dre, for saving it. Oh man. No, I want to I, I want to yeah. unpack uh, a lot of you know some of the big things that happen in this movie. I guess like uh, the first thing that I want to tackle is uh, the death of T'Challa. I mean, the movie starts off with uh, Shuri and the panic and everybody in her laboratory and trying to uh, recreate the heart-shaped herb on a, like a 3D printer. She's looking at his DNA. She's looking at like what information they have. They just don't have enough. And I think it was like at a oh, 29.7% success rate or something like that. It was very low. And um, I mean, it was, I, it just, it just really hit me when Ramonda comes in there and has nothing to say. Um, and we just know that and we and, and we know he's going to die in that moment. We know that uh, the I think it was handled very well. I I think them basically taking uh, the real something similar to what happened to Chadwick in real life. He died well, of the an fact Ill- that he kept it a secret. I thought was very similar. Uh-huh. And and, and I, yeah. It's just it's it's very similar it was an illness. It was an illness here and I think like we really get to mourn his loss in this movie the same way that we mourned him his the, the loss of of Chadwick in real life. I think it's a it's a fitting tribute in that way if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people online complaining that they were very vague about um, why he passed or how he passed. And I, I thought I really enjoyed the choice they made. Like I, we know enough to serve the story. Like what is, what is telling us exactly what happened, sir? I thought they told us pretty much everything. Yeah, I, I agree. They did a good job of kind of somewhat breaking a fourth wall, but blurring the line in terms of T'Challa and Chadwick Boseman, because we're kind of, as fans, we're mourning both of them more or less going into this movie. We're mourning T'Challa and Chadwick. And so they did a good job of kind of blurring that line. I think when I think Ramona herself says a line specifically when she says, when this disease took him from us. They don't specifically say what it is, but when they say this disease, it works for the audience on both levels. We know in real life that disease was cancer for Chadwick Boseman, but in the movie we know it's just a disease for T'Challa 
it works on both levels. Yeah. And I, I think also with us as audiences, we're already familiar with how we lost Chadwick. And so for them to parallel that in the movie, it's just so much easier to accept. Uh, it, it immediately made me think of when, when we unexpectedly lost John Ritter and he had been filming eight simple rules at the time. And the way they tackled it on that show was pretty much exactly like how it happened in life. The, the, the actual character himself had a massive heart attack, died. They brought it up at the beginning of the episode, pretty much just with his wife getting the news and then her rushing out the door. And I don't know, it, it just all felt very familiar to me. And I think that that was a very smart choice since we were all completely familiar with how Chadwick died. And so it just makes sense to mirror it with T'Challa. Well, listen to the, listen to what I'm about to say here. Fans aside, no, like, let's say fans had like a different, like, why couldn't he have like died a different way, like in, in a more heroic way or blah, blah, blah. I think it all comes down to the people that were involved in this film. And I think they needed this as kind of like a cathartic release. I agree a hundred percent with that. It would have been a little bit disgraceful to, uh, make up a different way some kind of like, like off-screen heroic death listen he already proved to me that he was heroic in the first movie and he's I mean, also he just, he's heroic in the way that he handled this in real life and how he handled it with his family and it being very kind of personal so right yeah thank, well, thank you, goodness oh sorry oh no i was just gonna say you hit the nail on the head it's like mirroring chadwick boseman's actual demise because like now it kind of changes how you look at the previous films because he was battling this thing in secret. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think one of the issues some people will have is the fact that the way Wakanda has been built up is almost in the sense that night. You're coming in really low, Nana. I said, I was saying that one of the things that like some people might say is that like the way Wakanda was built up was that there was nothing that Wakanda couldn't cure and to not actually say what this disease was kind of like conflicts what was said in the first movie the fact that like you know Everett Ross like got shot in his spine they were able to heal it within a day um I guess they did try and count out of that that he didn't tell them but it's, does that make sense what I'm, the point I'm trying to get across yeah well, it, then, it's I think like uh, as far as like an injury like that as opposed to like some kind of like disease that's just battling your body. It's like maybe just two different things possibly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, I see what Nan is saying, but I think that's a little bit of, of the narrative point that it's a chink in the armor that they, they can't solve everything. They aren't so perfect that they could save this. Like that's a little bit of the driving point of the story of the movie. And I, I think you would be remiss not to include that. I don't think it makes them look weaker in a bad way i oh, think no, it no. makes them more relatable as characters they're not these perfect gods this they couldn't do anything oh i'm not disagreeing with you there i'm just saying that like that is something that some people might say is why they would have liked you know a more definitive answer like maybe you know when he came back from the snap something happened that was not of this world and that's why they couldn't cure it I hear what you're saying. Um, I also that would think have been that distasteful. <laughs> I also think that this. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying to Jake's point that I, I agreed. Like that's a fair point. It'd be distasteful. I'm just, I'm just kind of um, almost playing devil. I'd... 
Did I lose everybody? Kind of plays into another theme in this movie of sending of Wakanda moving in a new direction because we get on one hand, there's this, this disease that strikes T'Challa that kills him down that their, their incredible technology can't fix. Also the revelation to them that they aren't the only holders of vibranium in the world and couple that with the destruction of their capital by Namor. All of those things kind of come together in terms of kind of tearing down Wakanda to a certain extent so that it can be rebuilt in this new image, more or less, moving forward. It's kind of like, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but it's kind of breaking down what we knew of Wakanda and, like I said, and, and reimagining it moving forward. Oh, no, that makes sense. Uh, I wanted to talk about the actual funeral scene. Uh, we got the mural that we've seen in the trailer. The mural actually reads, the king lives in the Panther forever in us. And then we see the uh, the uh, Black Panther uh, coffin. And it's got him doing the Wakanda salute on the front, an image of him doing that salute. Um, and then it also has uh, next to the coffin – his challenge ritual spear and shield and they're laying down and it's basically symbolizing that that his battle is over and he can now rest and it was it was really beautiful i i teared up uh, multiple points at the beginning here um mm-hmm. you know and uh, uh it, and it is definitely because you're you're you know you're you're remembering chadwick and what he brought to the role and um yeah, it was it was uh I thought it was very tasteful and well done. And um yeah, definitely uh we you know, I there were I I had those questions of like where is Nakia? She's not here. And we we find out exactly what happened with her character later on in the movie. Um I guess I want to jump into some I've got a lot of talking points that I want to hit throughout <laughs> Before you move past his funeral, yeah. I thought it was did, – did you guys see the commemorative popcorn bucket they were selling? Which – it yeah. depends on which theater you're going to. Uh, the AMC one. I thought it very much was designed like T'Challa's coffin and oh. a little bit weird to see people like eating their buttery popcorn out of like what was a <laughs> memorial to Chad Postman. Wow. wow, that's distasteful. Speaking of that, with that scene, it was so – quiet in the theater especially when the marvel studios um cold open dropped and, it, and it's just yeah. or not cold open but you know the marvel studios logo dropped and, it, and there's it's just dead silent there was at least four people around me just loudly munching on popcorn throughout that whole thing and it was just <laughs> like dude this has been a very somber sad moment and we're getting a memorial to like a, a very a, a person who died just tragically early i mean we should have had decades more with Chadwick Boseman. And, and this is the time that you're just. I did both, Joe. Don't don't hate me, but I was eating the popcorn <laughs> while sobbing. <laughs> Joe, Jake was eating I'm it out even, of his I, out of his coffin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I, I remember thinking, oh, just keep eating the popcorn. Maybe it'll settle you down. <laughs> I don't think anybody in my theater touched a single thing during that 
cold opening. You could hear a pin drop in my theater. Yeah. I yeah. think the only sounds I may have heard were maybe yeah, the only sounds you may have heard was maybe some sniffling from people yes. tearing up and being emotional. But yeah. I actually had a much more respectful crowd than I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when I when I went to it was my second showing, I heard people crying. I heard I heard one woman like not uncontrollably, but I could hear like, you know, like that lip quiver. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard that and I was just like, man, this is this is this is why this movie is powerful. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, these two. Right. Yes. Brian, did, you, did you wear your white hoodie? I, I I don't I no I wore I I to my first to my first showing I actually wore my Black Panther hoodie which is it's all black and it's got like the Black Panther logo on it so that's what I wore uh, yeah I didn't want to be that white guy you know <laughs> you should have been you should have been uh, dancing um, your way down the aisle like you're one of the people on the side of the funeral procession. <laughs> <laughs> Boogie in your way to your seat. No, I actually it was it was me and 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 three other guys and we were carrying the popcorn like we were like we were palm bears, like we were palm bears down there. So, um, I fucking loved Riri Williams. I fucking loved Riri Williams. And like I have like I've seen online where people are like, why is she in this movie? Blah, blah, blah. It makes no sense. I think it was perfect to have her in this movie. She is one of the I mean, it, it's basically her invention that started this whole thing. She thought she was just making this for a science project. It was a yeah. it was a device that can locate vibranium uh, no matter where you are, even underwater. And she thought she was just going to be making it basically for like the like this MIT science fair as a project. And turns out the government, the CIA gets their hands on this thing. And yeah, I think real, Go ahead. I was going to say the the real villain is the teacher that gave it to the CIA. Like what was he thinking? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I kept thinking of real genius when like all those kids in that movie were making that, you know, that that laser and uh, how they were the the military was wanting to use that at the, you know, for the for their own uh, nefarious reasons. Um, And and so, you know, I kept it it brought me back to real genius. But man, I loved Riri. I think she had some great comedic moments throughout the movie. Um, I loved it. You know, like when they got uh, kidnapped and they're in the cave and she's like, what, you, the Black Panther going to come get us? No. She's like, so you guys run out of Black Panthers? You all stop Black Panthers when I get kidnapped. <laughs> I was endeared, and I said this in the reaction episode, that she's from Chicago. Uh, I'm not from Chicago, but I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and I saw a Chicago Bulls body pillow in her room. And then even later on, she's like asking Shuri if she wants to go to a Bulls game. I was just like, okay, I love her. She's a Bulls fan. I love her. I, I love her. Your introduction as well. Like, I loved how they how Kugler paralleled um, the same kind of backward, uh, backward shot that the um, – the uh, Russo brothers did in Civil War with Peter Parker. I don't know if you noticed that. And there's also a lot of parallels with the meeting between her, him, uh, Riri and Shuri that, you know, was very similar to the Tony and Peter meeting in his uh, bedroom. Okay. That's a good call. Mm. 
Yeah, I really didn't know. I thought the way they incorporated her into the storyline was also brilliant. Until they hard cut to the school, I had no idea that that was connected to Riri. And I I thought that was just good storytelling. Yeah, like I said, um, they used her to great effect in this movie because all of our principal characters are in the midst of mourning, both the actors and the characters themselves in in the film. So bringing her in as an outside character she's able to be used to great effect for that, like I said, that lightheartedness, some of that some of that comedic effect to help break up all of the more di- more uh, somber emotion of the film. So for that, in that aspect, she's brilliantly used. And she yeah. did that excellently, like I said, with her her comedic moments, all the comedic timings, her interactions with Okoye, telling her, you know, <laughs> yes. she need to worry about her head and shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god Okoye got she... it Okoye got it so bad in this movie certain, I loved it when fucking uh, M'Baku called her a bald demon <laughs> uh, bald headed demon bald headed demon <laughs> I thought they used Riri to very smartly bring Gravita to uh, Shuri too just like how quickly she recognized who it was and the importance of the character. I thought that was just a real, real quick line of dialogue that really just brought more gravitas to the character. Oh, and I also yeah. loved when we get the Killmonger reveal and he's like talking about how Ramonda fucking basically put Wakanda up for attack against the Talacans to protect this young girl. Yet her father kills his brother and then just leaves the boy in the city with nobody, with no one. And I was just like, man, that's fucking – that is powerful shit right there. Yeah, it was yeah. hard for me. I think I'm still – Killmonger was right after seeing this movie. Like like I said in, in my review, I wanted Shuri to do what Killmonger wanted her to do. I still feel like I do. Uh, I the, the the beginning scene, like I loved one of the beginning scenes with the Talokans, you know, going after after the after the device and just how it was filmed like a horror movie. Um, and then it made me think when they were using like that siren call and getting into the minds of the men walking off the ship that it was like these have to be like this has to be like those stories about like sea sirens and mermaids and stuff. Like that's, oh, totally. that's where those stories came from. It came from, you know, encounters with Talacans over the years. Um, and I, I, I was really impressed with how, how scary they made them at the beginning of the movie. But then when you get down into Talacan and you get to see like how beautiful that city is uh, and how the kids are and they're smiling and they're sweet that you know that like Namor really has something beautiful that he's wanting to protect and that's what brings out like that dark side of that character is like I am going to be they look at me as a god as their protector and that's what I'm going to do and if I have to get ugly to do it I'm going to do it and I just thought I loved everything about his performance the writing that Ryan Coogler did for his character I think it worked fucking wonderfully just talican itself was amazing like the fact that he can uh go underwater and like we talk about like how wakandan has like this uh, wakanda has like this amazing technology and they really do but even down there like you know it wasn't like super advanced but on the flip side it's like 
he put his hand in like some device down there and it turned on like this water current that they just that he you know that that, that just took them through like these water tunnels and like jet speeded them down to Talacan. It was really cool. Yeah, it was yeah. like the turtles in Finding Nemo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. That's what it reminded me of. It was. And then um, I just loved how when the Talacans would show up, like on the bridge, like you'd see like a killer whale jump out of the water and then Talacans jumping on the bridge, you know, yeah. like it just oh, looked And, and I so love cool. the way they worked with all those different uh, sea creatures, too. The way that the the tail, uh, the whale flipped his tail and it shot him up onto the, the boat at the end. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That I'm telling you that I said this in the reaction one. I, I've never felt fear for Okoye ever in any of these movies. She's never been outmatched and I've never felt any fear for any of the Dora Milaje. Like even in this opening scene where like the French soldiers are breaking into the Wakandan outreach center. And as soon as you realize that they've, you know, they've infiltrated it, but unbeknownst to them, some of these scientists are Dora Milaje. They and and they start getting their asses kicked. You never worry for the Dora Milaje. I was in legit like holy shit, like kind of fear for Okoye on that bridge. She's going up against Talikens, and then she's going up against the Tuma. And I'm you know I I I just was kind of blown away. Like when when a Tuma takes that staff that sword and stabs it into the ground and then pulls her and she just like hits her head on it goes down and she's crawling away and he hits her head fucking hard yeah mm-hmm. i think he dislocates her shoulder when he slams her into it oh he had yeah. to have he had yeah, she to. has to yank yeah. her shoulder back yeah, into she place pops, yeah she intentionally pops it back in in that scene and yeah like yeah like you said i wasn't scared for her that like she was gonna die in that scene but I was very much impressed that she was able to hold her own against three of them. It just, to me, solidified just how much of a badass she is. You know, she was there was there was there was worry. There's a little bit of fear in her face, especially after she thought she dispatched three of them, stabbed yeah. one through the stomach. And then he basically says, go to Namora. All three of them just get up like nothing had fucking happened and run to Namora. And he's like, I'm going to go to I'm going to take care I'm going to take care of you now. Atuma is like, I'm going to take care of you now. And I was just like, holy shit. That's part of the reason, like when we get to the third act that I wasn't like so satisfied with the way that that kind of played out because that was such a big deal on the bridge. Like, especially with the fact that through all of that, she's supposed to be the one protecting Shuri. She's supposed to be the one protecting Riri. And then because of what happens on the bridge, that's why she loses her rank in the Dora Milaje and it just felt like I don't know. I just didn't feel a hundred percent satisfied with that final battle with her in a tumor. Sorry, Brian, I've got a question. Yeah. Or, or more so I want something clarified. So obviously Namor is a mutant. Yeah. He's super low again, Nana. I said Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Alright. Yeah. So Namor clarifies that he's a mutant. Are the rest of the Telecons mutants as well? I don't think so. I would have to say that they, whatever the, 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 the herb that they took from the vibranium rock. So basically you have, uh, their god, the, the Wakandan's god is Bast, who is the panther goddess. And then the Talakan's god is, uh, the god of rain, I believe. And it's Chalk and Chalk. They had prayed to Chalk for some kind of – they were worried about colonizers, Spanish colonizers, and so they prayed to the gods. And 
they got their own herb. And so this one shaman found it in the water and took it. And I, th- and, and, and it was kind of like an answer to their prayers and it changed their biology and it made them be able to, you know, uh, breathe under the water, gave them gills, gave them like super strength. But it wasn't like a mutant gene as to where like once they hit a certain age, it just kind of kicks in. These powers were just like this was just kind of given to them. So it doesn't really line up with like the mutant gene. But on the flip side, Namor, his biology is completely different than theirs. Um, Even though he was born that way, we don't know if he went through some sort of like change once he hit like a certain age. Like so – he says he's a mutant, and maybe they're changing what mutants are in the MCU, but I don't think so because in Ms. Marvel, I think her mutant gene kicked in when she put on the uh, when she put on the bangles, like it just kind of like activated it. So um, I think that he is the mutant, and the rest of the Telecans aren't mutants because. Do you, am I making any yeah, sense? Yeah, we're yeah, we're led to believe he. So it's the fact that they're enhanced and extra strong compared to normal humans. It kind of makes if they're not full mutants like he is, maybe they're like on the on a half scale. Does that make sense? They're definitely on a half scale. They were changed by the meteor, but Namor was actually born the mutant, and you see he's born with the wings on his ankles right away. Yeah. Like he's yeah. born a different race completely. Right. Yeah, it, those those wings didn't pop out during puberty like would have happened with like a regular mutant. Right. And yeah. I, I got the impression that he was a certain that he's clearly a mutant, but that the people also aren't of this cuz some of them are blue and some of them aren't. Like when, when no, they're, no, no, they're under blue. the water, they all they're are flesh toned. Yeah. But once uh, they come uh, out of the water, out of the water. Yes, once they come I out of the water, like they turn blue. <laughs> and, and I think the reason that they're so strong is it's kind of a throwaway line that comes off a little bit comedic right before Namor takes Shuri, you know, down to the the underwater city down there. He says that, you know, if you go down there, the, the ocean pressure is going to totally flatten you out. And all of his people live down there without suits. So you got to figure these people are very, very hardy. They, their bodies are strong enough to withstand those really, really strong uh, pressures at the bottom of the ocean. So when they're outside of all that water, they've still got a very, you know, dense body that's that's able to take quite a beating. Because th- that first fight that I saw, you know, with Okoye going against him on that bridge, it, it immediately made me think of the Disney Plus series uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we see Dora Milaje going up against you know, the, the fake ass Captain America. And I mean, at that point where they're going against him, he's got, or no, he doesn't have super soldier serum in him at that point. Does he? No, just water that ass whooping. Okay. So, okay. I was a little mixed up then, but I guess they have kind of gone up against Bucky and like disactivated his arm and shit against him. So they have gone up against super soldiers in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And they fought Killmonger in the first black Panther who was enhanced by the heart shaped earth. So, yeah, so, they demonstrated so, yeah, the they, ability to take on, you know, enhanced individuals before. Yeah, and then right away they just did they did a great job with that fight of showing them because it's like not only are they going up against a Dora Milaje, they're going up against like the best Dora Milaje. And and she's having a hard time keeping up with them. And so right away it just set these stakes that that these bad guys are really something to to reckon with. And if he's really got as many of them as he has, like imagine 
commanding an army of, you know, like beings that are that strong, it would be easy to take over the surface world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're definitely looking at. Oh, I want to talk about that when I talk about the theories for Black Panther three. So I'm going to save that. I, I do want to talk about this. There is this race for vibranium on for the surface world, like. Countries are wanting to get their hands on vibranium. They're talking about how they fear it because it's not, you know, you can't detect it in a metal detector and they believe that it can be used for nuclear weapons, blah, 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 whatever. They want to, they want it for their military. They want to militarize it. That's what it, it, it comes down to. And I, I like the theory that General Ross, I'm, the theory that I really like is that the next time we see General Ross, which we know they've recast, you know, William Hurt's character of General Ross with uh, Harrison Ford, the next time we see General Ross, he's now president. And that he was the one who sent Lake Bell's character out there at the beginning to find the vibranium uh, using the machine that we remade. And he needs vibranium to give them that edge. They want to control all the. They want to. They basically want to have control over Wakanda. They want to have control over all superheroes. And I also think that if if Ross is president and he's trying to control Wakanda, and he's trying to control superheroes, I think that also could lead into a really great X Men movie where mutants have always been the threat of the government. And so I think, you know, I think Ross would be huge going into some of these X-Men movies at that point. But uh, and then we also get the huge reveal in this movie that Val is Ross's uh, Everett Ross's ex-wife, which is a huge reveal. Is Everett Ross and Thunderbolt Ross related or do you think there's any type of connection there? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, mean, just thought it, I don't think so. Just found it interesting that they're yeah same last same, name same yeah. last name same organization type ish. So uh, do you, okay question? Do you think Val, as you know, we find out she's the director of the CIA? Do you think that you know she's been using her CIA intel to get info for people that she's been recruiting for the Thunderbolts team? Do you think that that is sanctioned by the CIA, or do you think that this is something that she's doing on the side for General Ross? I think it's something she's doing for for with for slash with General Ross. I think it will I, be. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I mean it. I think it's. I think it's going to be. I don't you think that they are going to be kind of like government controlled, and they're going to try to put this image out there that they are that they're good. Like this is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like they, they, to yeah, make maybe the, they'll do that so the government will help fund them after the fact. Like put on this put on this pretense so the government will want to use us. I kind of don't think so because given the roster that we've seen, it's going to be hard for them to try to present this as an as a forward facing, you know, arm of the government, like a government sanctioned superhero group. Like they got Winter Soldier in this thing, and this is a guy who, in the eyes I would think of most people, is the pe- person that they've seen on the news having been accused of having of killing other people. Remember, there was news reports out at the beginning of Civil War that he was the man that was accused of killing T- King T'Chaka. And now you're suddenly, he's a part of this government group and they're going to try to present them as, hey, this is the 
official USA sanctioned Avengers oh, group, yeah. quote unquote. And then like, US- I mean, that's the plot line of, of like four or five different major Thunderbolt storylines is you're taking these villain characters and you're rebranding them into something the public can get behind. Yeah. That that's that's the whole theme. I would say if it's like a black ops operation, like they could still be funded or you know authorized by the government, but in the eyes of the public, they're a, a renegade group. But that's what makes Thunderbolts different than say the Suicide Squad is they're at the end of the day they're not meant to be this underground thing that no one knows about. They're they're meant to be something that can make the public feel safe. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I think what they're trying to I think they want to blemish the image of the Avengers and have people kind of behind this Thunderbolts team as the they're like, they're guys. Yes. So they already so. they already kind of tried that in falcon and the winter soldier like that was basically what they were doing there was mm-hmm. like get behind our sanctioned version of captain america they learned from their mistakes and they're going to do it better it's still not very great we, we've got a government. team around john walker now we we gave him some anger management classes right <laughs> like, ain't that the dude we just seen beat the shit out of somebody with a shield yeah. <laughs> they, they're like hey we somebody we put him in a room full of dolls and he didn't rip the head off of any of them <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm fine with narratives that paint the masses as idiots because that feels like real life to me. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Ryan Coogler recently, it was, I read it in comicbook.com. This is uh, about Riri Williams. He uh, teased that there is going to be some sort of a connection to Tony Stark. Oh, that'd be cool. He says, I don't want to put any spoilers out there. I know you haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, I know the same for your audience, but yeah, there is a connection there between her and Tony. I don't think it's in the movie. If uh, so, well, he's well, an MIT thing- grad, right? So yeah. he also made that fun for him. I think he made like a fund or something for for students. I was thinking so maybe- like I was thinking like yeah, maybe maybe his yeah. fund paid for her education. But I thought like she was also so brilliant that she probably would have gotten a hundred percent paid scholarship, though, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Sure. And I don't know if that lines up timeline wise, because when he did announce that whole funding thing, unless it was just an unless that was no, an that would have been like thing. eight years before. You're totally right. right. Yeah. Because she but it could be younger. like She's, an ongoing fund. You know, yeah. That. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. If, it, if yeah. it's an ongoing thing, then it would work. But if it was just meant for those students who were there at the time, then it wouldn't work. What about all the drawings that she had up on her board that she then pulled down and burned in she that barrel? Them, were, yeah. were those stark drawings? I'm not because sure. I thought they I thought the Shuri asked her something about that when they walked in. Like, is this Stark Tech? Yes, she does. I thought I saw something that may have looked like an arc reactor, but I don't know. A hundred percent. I mean, I've only seen it once, but I think it definitely was meant to look like an arc reactor. Yeah, I thought she and, said, "Is this static?" What's what that? You, I thought the question that she asked was, "Is it static?" Like what she was making in terms. Of no, what? she said Stark Tech. Okay. Static. Yeah. Is, static Shock is a DC character, right? i know that much well one big um connection she has with tony in the comics is that tony is like the voice of the ai in her suit do you know who the voice of the ai was in this movie i do yeah Yeah. trevor noah trevor noah yeah Yeah. (laughs) speaking of that i thought that ai in this was great I, i loved that it had a little bit of a sense of humor and i loved that it could it was um, impressionable to being threatened. 
<laughs> oh god when okoye was threatening it to like give her control of the car i was like yeah, oh this is great so funny <laughs> i laughed out I, loud i have a question did any did, did it feel like to anybody else that the 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 newest newest member of the Dora Milaje played by uh, Michaela Cole from Chewing Gum on Netflix it felt like there was supposed to be more done with that character we got introduced to her and then we see her again at the end but it felt like there may have been a scene that was cut like is there were we supposed to be connected to her in some way um that kind of confused me a little bit too because did she get why why did she, was she the one who got the suit at the end as well like why was why was the why was the there, trying to get her to come back I think they're setting up a Midnight Angel series for Disney Plus is the I, I that's what I think what we're going to see eventually happen um in in the comics with the Midnight Angels you have um I'm trying to remember uh there's IO and I love IO <laughs> yeah there there's I, there's Io and what was what was her name? I'm look I'm gonna look it up and I'll find it here. Oh, um, Anika. Are you talking about uh, Yeah, Anika. Yeah, Anika. Um, th- basically, they have a relationship also in the comics. Uh, there were chief okay. there were chieftains that were abusing women, and so Anika kills one of the chieftains, and then she is sentenced to death. Uh, Io steals one of these Midnight Angel suits and rescues Anika, and then we see them and and uh, in these Midnight Angel costumes in these suits, and they're going around liberating women from these evil chieftains. And so I don't know if that's the direction that they're going to go with like this Wakandan series, but I think that they. I think that they did have a focus on those two characters for what, you know, limited time we did see them in this movie for setting up something with the Midnight Angels going forward in the, in, in maybe in a Disney Plus series. Well, at the end of the movie, you see that Aneka and Ayo are together. They are, yeah. She kisses yeah. her yes. on the head. Yes, they're definitely a couple. I, and I think one of the other things also is Okoye knew that Anika is open to using new tech because she was – you know, she was wanting to switch to using those daggers that Shuri made to her. And Okoye was having to give her the, you know, no, you have to go with your traditional spear. And so if she's asking, you know, one of the Dora Milaje to, hey, adopt something brand new, she's probably feels that's a, pretty confident that's she's going to yes line. on her. That, that's great. I think Joe's right on the money with that one, honestly. That they're they're very rigid in what how they fight, what they use, and that she knew for sure that she had a guinea pig in her. Yeah, she said the line directly to um her that you always had a rebellious nature. She uh, said yeah. that to her when she yeah. went to recruit her. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I have um, potentially a dumb question. Did Okoye get a new spear and was it used in that final fight? I do not recall it. She said, um, yeah, sure. He said that she made a new spear for her. Did, I mean, did the spear stand out for anybody? No, didn't no, to me. Not to me. No, I, that was, yeah, I think that was part of the part of the, of the problem with the final fight. Is yeah, like, that was something that was mentioned, but we didn't see it, which is, yeah, to your point that, that it would have been better if they would have given a little more focus to that rematch between Okoye and, um, the other guy. I really do think it was missed, man. I really yeah, do was, think it was a missed opportunity. That was just one of my few gripes with the, the film is that I, I didn't think that the door needed any superhuman strength suits or anything like that. I just thought they were just fine as 
just being very well-trained fighters who can handle their own. It's a big problem. Like, I think coming out of these movies, it sometimes all this stuff that they kind of pack into them, it seems like it's a big problem for viewers on it. Like, I, when Connor watched the movie and we did our reaction, he was like, you know, I don't think that, you know, Martin Freeman's character of Everett Ross needed to be in this movie. And then I'm thinking to myself, and I, I kind of alluded to it on the episode, that I think that why he was in the movie and the connection with Val is because it's setting up other things that are going to happen in future installments in the MCU. I think it's setting up things that are going to be happening in Secret Invasion. I think it's going to be setting up things that are going to be happening in Captain America New World Order. I think it's going to be setting up things happening in Thunderbolts. So you have to have that stuff there. And I think like with these suits, that's what they're doing. They're setting up something – for Midnight Angels to be possibly a Disney Plus series. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. But does it work when we're watching the movie, when they're trying to do all this like massive world building for future things? Sometimes it doesn't always work, right? Uh, I, we have to wait for the payoff later, you know? Yeah. Same same thing with Ironheart. Like, you know, I love seeing her in the movie, but a lot of it was just kind of getting us used to the character because we know she's going to have her own Disney Plus series. And the Disney Plus series is going to be completely different than what we got in this. It's going to be science versus magic, right? <laughs> in that series. Yeah. And this kind of takes a little bit of the load off that show, too. It doesn't have to 100% be an origin story of this character. Like, it, it gets to – we get to go in as an audience already having a little bit of a connection to this character. A little bit. I, we, we're definitely – you know, we've seen, like, uh, some some scenes and things like that. You know, she's going to be uh, talking to – she's going to be at MIT. We're going to see that. She, we're going to see interacting with her professors and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it'll be a little bit easier to follow the character because we've seen her in this series. So, yeah, she's going to MIT with uh, with Ned and MJ, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Will they, I don't know if we'll see him. Could they even be <laughs> only if Sony agrees? Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I wonder if we could see like their names listed on a wall somewhere. I think that's about where it would end, right? I, I, I feel agree. like they can swing a Ned cameo. <laughs> Ned's going to big time him. <laughs> It'd be nice if they could pull it off, but I'm I'm not gonna place my hopes on it. Yeah. Like he's in the group getting the freshman orientation or something. Something <laughs> like that. I she's like she's like doing his homework for money. <laughs> I loved I I loved Namor's flying in this I thought it looked awesome. It looked so good. Same. The way that he was able to zigzag back and forth and stuff. It, oh and he could stop it, on a dime. Like yeah, it was it was, it was awesome. It was great. That one shot where he falls and hovers right before the camera and flutters his wings. Mm -hmm. So that was so well shot. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, oh, when, when, uh, oh, I, 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 uh, it makes me cringe when fucking, uh, Shuri rips out his feathers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. God. oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. I cheer. Yeah, it looked like it. It looked like it hurt. Oh, and the look Is of that... panic on his face, too. I, Jake, I know that you hated him and wanted him to die. But on the flip side, <laughs> it's like, dude, fuck it. Listen to this shit. Okay. Well, I, I get it. No, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get my point out. Dude fucking gets 
you know, fucking uh, Ramonda uses the conch, calls him up there. He's like, oh, okay, I'm answering the call. And then he goes back and is like, oh, you sent Nakia down here to, and he, she <laughs> she killed a couple of my women here that live in my civilization? What? What? That's why, dude, that's why he attacked. He was, I mean, that was like, that was a threat on their fucking, uh, on their turf. So it's a race of cowards in the first place. Like they've completely absolved themselves from the entire world. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about Namor in the comic too. Like, so you could say the same thing for Wakanda. Wakanda has hidden themselves away from the, the from the world up until they couldn't anymore. So we got to yeah, see but- a world of 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 people in Wakanda that were not affected by colonizers and we got to see them basically use their resources and not have colonizers take their resources away and we got to see that they stayed hidden as well. It's the same thing, Jake. But it's the way they responded to when yeah. they were exposed that's the difference. That's yeah. to me like that's the huge difference there. Like Wakanda did it gracefully and peacefully and like tried to avoid any like killing or conflict. Like they knew that. Oh, uh, we uh, next- watch that first movie yeah. when Claw and his motherfuckers try to break in there. Like the Black Panther goes at him, man. So it's like if you know, it, it's the same thing here. You've got people snooping around and trying to steal their vibranium in the ocean. They're going to go at you, man. You, you got to, you know. And they also and they also have different. Oh, sorry, go on, oh, they also have a different bases for their their uh, viewing of society. Remember, Wakanda, Wakanda has basically been isolated for you know long, probably longer than um, uh, Talakan has. They've been isolated and just grown and evolved on their own. Talakan's isolation stems from them having to flee from being from the oppression of the uh, Spanish conquistadors yeah. who were coming in and enslaving them. So they already um, removed themselves from society with a level of animosity from the beginning. And then when he returns to try to bury his mother, he sees that this is basically worse and, or nothing has changed. So he has that in, in deeply embedded animosity towards the surface world. So that explains why they don't... Uh, um, they aren't as open to being greeted or being revealed to the surface world. And they are very much parallel to Wakanda as, as well in terms of their isolation. And Wakanda is just a few steps ahead of them in terms of, I guess you could say societal evolution. Yeah. Social, social graces. Yeah. But like, look, I, I get, I, I agree with you completely, but still, I still think it, uh, at the end of the day, it's like Wakanda. Like what Namor said that don't think for a minute that they wouldn't plunder and pillage your resources if they had the opportunity. And he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's wrong. not wrong. And I think that's I think that's what we're gonna see going forward in the MCU. I think like with with there's that moment where Ro- uh, Everett Ross is talking to Val, and he's like. You know, have you have you ever thought about like if, you know, the United States had control of vibranium? She's like, I dream about it. Like, (laughs) like, oh, my God, this is like this is they this is what they want. This is the end game for the U.S. government, for for France, for all these different countries. It's a race game to get vibranium. It's like that is the next step in like 
military evolution to get their hands on this shit. This is like it's going to be like a modern nuclear race. Yes. Except the, the it's going to be vibranium. And um, Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta, Talakan and Wakanda are excellent foils for each other. And I couldn't help but think while watching the movie, like, I wonder how this dynamic between Talakan and Wakanda would have been if we still had Chadwick. How that dynamic could have been if we could have seen T'Challa as king interacting with Namor as mm-hmm. king. Yeah. I was thinking about that as well. Like, how far off is this from Ryan Coogler's original script when well, he thought that? Because, right. I mean, it, it, there were de- it was definitely going to be a conflict with Namor all along. And, you know, I, so that was just got me thinking after watching this is how how much of the bones from that first script are still in this? Like, would it have been Namor confronting T'Challa? instead of the queen um yeah i don't know i don't i, or, or I, I, I guess it would have died that's not even you know it might have been a completely different spin on that yeah i, I honestly i think probably 90 percent of the movie was rewritten yeah I, I wonder if it'll ever come out if he'll ever he share did he talked i'm, I'm, he, he I'm said fascinated he, by he that too he, he said he had to go back and rewrite basically the whole yeah. thing uh, here's I'm a pretty sure he did. here's an article from x fire i haven't read it but i knew there was an article out there uh about the original script for black panther 2 this uh, this is titled uh ryan coogler reveals details of the original script for black panther 2 uh, in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the central plot revolves around the passing of King T'Challa. The opening scenes were a celebration of his life and legacy in the MCU. Um, let's see what they talk about here. There's a sense of grief and loss. According to Coogler, the follow-up originally planned on using T'Challa grief over losing half a decade to the blip. In an inter- interview with Inverse, the director revealed that the tone of the current movie and the original were similar the tonal shift, I will say, was less of a shift than in casting. Uh, the director reveals the character was going to be grieving the loss of time, you know, coming back after being gone for five years. Uh, as a man with so much responsibility to so many, coming back after a forced five years of absence, that's what the film was tackling. He was grieving time he couldn't get back. Grief was a big part of it. Um Interesting. Uh, while, while the script that I would love to read. After Bozeman passed, Coogler, along with co-writer Joe Robert Cole, had to draft a new screenplay. The rework included the death of King Wakanda and the succession of the new Black Panther. While the main protagonist changed, other elements of the story, specifically the villain, the Talakan monarch, Namor, was always the antagonist. As per Coogler, yep. quote, there were yep. other characters for sure that we were considered, uh, we considered including Namor was always there. Namor uh, was always there. So, and I also found out that um, uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman was given a draft of the first script and um, he, he was going, he was battling his illness and he was too tired to read it. Yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can definitely sense the um, the the fact that Namor had it out for T'Challa because in the film he mentions like your brother did this, your brother revealed this, your brother revealed that. And you can tell the original script was probably a more personal like you did this, you yeah, revealed our secrets. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, the core yeah. elements of Namor seem like they're fairly intact, minus obviously some subtle changes that had to be made for obvious reasons. But it seems like his core elements were still basically there. Yeah, that yeah. first script, that would be interesting. That would almost be just as sad to read, you know? Yeah, what could have been. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to leak. If it's out there, it's going to leak. But I'd be willing I mean. to bet that Rwanda was going to die in both scripts. I agree. How do we feel about that? Me, for me, it's just another great character that I'm going to miss. And it was just, she's just put just such a powerful performance in this. People are saying it's Oscar worthy, and I agree. It's just one of those things where it's like, man, just another loss to this franchise of just a, a, of a great actor. And one of the, one of the only great parental figures in the MCU, right? <laughs> I mean, you and far between. It's yeah, her, her it's, and Yondu. It's her, Yondu, and Frigga, right? <laughs> yeah. She, she did and so much. Yeah, man. Angela Bassett did so much with the amount of time she had in this film. Like I said, from projecting the strength against uh, when facing the UN yeah. to having motherly moments with uh, Nakia and Shuri, where she was comforting them in their grief, then also expressing her own grief and emotion when she lashed out at Okoye mm-hmm. at getting Shuri kidnapped. Man, she brought so much. Even even a little small moment of um with um with uh Riri, where she where Riri asked. If she could call her mother, and you saw Ramonda's character react to that, wow. she did so much with what she had, and yeah, she better damn well get some sort of best supporting actress. In the comics, we find out that that car is her father's. In the comics, her father was killed by a drive-by shooting. Mm. So, um, oh my God, uh, Angela Bassett doesn't age. Like we talk about how Paul Rudd doesn't age. <laughs> Like, seriously, I don't know what the fuck Angela Bassett is doing if she's rubbing fucking, you know, fucking, uh, I'm not going to say it. I was going to now. I, <laughs> I was like, how dark are you going to go? <laughs> I think by saying that, every no one knows what you were going to say. So <laughs> she's rubbing a no, I'm not going to say it. Shut up. She does. She looks incredible. Yeah. And I mean, she's just always mesmerizing on the screen. She's uh, absolutely gorgeous and just an incredible actor. She always Mm -hmm. kills it in everything that I've seen her in. She's always gives a memorable performance. She's going to be missed in the, in, in, yeah, in future installments. But, uh, yeah, she was great. She was great. Uh, I guess, uh, one of the things. (laughs) <laughs> there's my guy there he is <laughs> can, can we break please <laughs> uh, like uh, yes I, I like what am I gonna say no just, just say no I'll, I'll be back on the podcast and this is no 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 it's fine we'll take a break this is where Jake no this is uh, t- how many cups of coffee no uh, whatever we'll take a break we'll be right back three three yeah, there actually. you go three cups of coffee it's a, it's, the coffee excuse never ceases to amaze me we'll be right back all right hey yeah we're taking a little break here we're gonna go over the winners that I teased at the beginning of the episode for 
the physical copies of Top Gun Maverick. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the episode where we uh, debuted that contest. And now I've got Joe Stark here. Joe, me and you are going to go over five lucky winners for Top Gun Maverick. Probably, in my opinion, one of the best movies this year. Oh, without a doubt. These five people are very lucky because this movie is just fantastic. Is me saying that Top Gun Maverick is one of the best movies this year, is that a hot take, Joe? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's nearly a basic take. It's it's pretty obvious. (laughs) There's the cat jumping on the table. Thank you. I knew it was going to happen as soon as I hit the record. (laughs) It's like a magnet. Yeah. All right. Oh, dad's talking into his little thing again? Yeah. Get up there and fuck with it. I'm going to hop on the table and then chew this dry food loudly. <laughs> and that's... they bring it up onto the table with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if he had hands, he would be unwrapping. Uh, he would be unwrapping a bag of chips or something, <laughs> right? Very loudly. <laughs> Anything to annoy me. I love you, Rigby. Anyway, let's go over the five winners. Winner number one. Nicholas Santones, you're going to win a copy of uh, Top Gun Maverick. Winner number two. Mark Busking, our buddy from Nerdaholics podcast, wins a copy of Top Gun Maverick. I'm not sure. I know it's on Blu-ray. I'm not sure. These might be 4K, guys. That's what I got, Joe. I got the 4K. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't get mine free. I had to, I had to drop 40 bucks on mine. <laughs> I still don't have a 4K TV. I I think I just have a regular, like, 1080p or whatever it is. Okay, Grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Joe's over there using his 32-inch CRT. He's like, "Ah, it's a a Sony. I got it in 1997. It's fine. (laughs) This is a pragmatic decision. If it works, why replace it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Winner number three, Patrick Boyce. Patrick Boyce, you win a copy. Congratulations. Number four, Mr. Geraldo Vega, my favorite Street Fighter II character. You win a physical copy of Top Gun Maverick. And the final winner for Top Gun Maverick, Ray Ayala. You know, I, you know, I, you know I, I think that's our buddy Ray. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ray, you win a copy. Actually, I'm going to send him a... I'm going to send you a digital copy of that Jurassic Park shit you never watched, buddy. So, how about that? Here's a YouTube link. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see here. So, those are the five winners. Congratulations to everybody who entered. But we do have a new contest going into next week. And this is for five digital copies of the movie Medieval. Joe, did you see Medieval? I did. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, Medieval. That's the Ben Foster movie. Ben Foster. It has got some brutal fight scenes in it. It does have some brutal fight scenes in it. Um, Ben Foster and Academy Award winner Michael Caine star in the action-packed epic Medieval, now streaming on Redbox. This sweeping saga of war and betrayal is inspired by the true story of one of the greatest warriors in history. A daring mercenary fights for freedom against corrupt kings as they battle for control of the Roman Empire. Stream Medieval instantly on Redbox On Demand today. It's rated R from Paramount Pictures. This might be a Redbox rental 
So keep that in mind. I don't know if you get to own the, the digital copy or if it's just the red box rental, but you'll be able to check out the medieval movie. And uh, I've got five copies going to be giving away on next week's episode. All you need to do to enter the contest is I'm going to be sending out, I actually sent it out just moments ago, a medieval tweet and a medieval Facebook post. You just have to do one of the two things. You don't have to do both, everybody. Don't get confused. Uh, I, all you have to do is share it, screenshot it, and send me a photo that you did, proving that you did it. And then title your email, Medieval, and send that to me at contest at Pop Culture Leftovers. Joe, it's just that easy. It is super easy. I was going to make a really bad joke there, distasteful joke about something being easy. <laughs> it had nothing to do with Lindsay Lohan in the 90s. Anyway. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? Speaking of Lindsay Lohan, I was just reading an article. I was just going to say it's like, it's very easy for her. It was very easy for her to get roles in the nineties, Joe. Okay, okay, that that is true. She was very hot in the nineties. <laughs> I I was just reading a headline yesterday that she's wanting to like do a sequel to Freaky Friday. I guess Jamie Lee Curtis has some idea for a sequel, and she's pushing it or something like that. Hopefully Michael Myers will show up and give us a proper ending. <laughs> and you meant hot, not as in her looks, but as in her career and her star rising in the 90s. Correct. Yes, we are not objective like that. No, no, no. I, I legitimately like Mean Girls. I think it's a funny movie. I've never seen Mean Girls. Oh, dude, it's it's totally worth it. Really? Um, just looking back on some of the some of the ratings you've given other movies in that genre that we've reviewed together, I think Mean Girls would be worth a watch for you. I think I stayed away from like the Mean Girls and all like the cheerleading squad movies back in the day. And I was just like, eh, this, this isn't for like Bring It On or whatever. Is that a movie, oh, Joe? Yeah. yeah, I never saw that one. Yeah. The so. closest I got to seeing that was how they spoofed it in that Not Another Teen movie. Everybody's listening to this and being like, would the two colonizers shut the fuck up and let, can we, can we, can we listen? Why, why are they talking about this? Right. Why are you making us listen to this? Get back to the Black Panther shit. So that's what we're going to do, Joe. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. We'll be back with more Black Panther. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. All right. Hey, we are back. Uh, I think we're going to what we're going to talk about now. I want to talk about this final battle, this final fight between uh, Shuri and uh, Namor. Shuri, she's able to use the the bracelet that she got from Namor uh, to fill in like the DNA gaps for the heart shaped herb. And she goes through. Uh, you know, takes the drink, goes through, goes to the ancestral plane, and is greeted by Killmonger. I thought, you know, like this is one of those things that we'd been talking about on the podcast that we had heard the rumor that when she goes to the ancestral plane, that she's going to see Killmonger. And you know, I think I was all, like, I was very excited to hear that, you know, that rumor, that possible leak, because it's like, okay, love having Michael B. Jordan come back again, be able to work with Ryan Coogler again. But, you know, how does this work? How does this work? I think it worked brilliantly with what absolutely what Shuri was going through. You, you, you've got a character who has just gone through a lot of trauma at the hands of Namor, lost her mother. You know, first off, she lost her brother. That, that's, that's something that, you know, 
I don't think that that's what affected this. I think it's the loss of Queen Ramonda, her mother, that kind of like sparked this. She's got like this vengeance, this rage in her. And when you go to the ancestor plane, you talk to the ancestor that you need to talk to the most. And she really needed to talk to somebody that was kind of like mirroring. She needed to see what she could become if she kept going down this path. And what she would have became is Killmonger. You know, uh-huh. And so I think that that was brilliant to have her. I thought it was brilliant. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they're framing her character from the very beginning in the fact that she's dealing with her grief by letting it turn into a rage where she's 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 upset that Bass didn't answer her prayer. So that failed her. She's upset that she has all these gifts and this brilliant mind and she's in the most technologically capable and advanced like uh, civilization on earth and that also failed her and so she just feels helpless and she's probably not used to feeling helpless and when she tells her mother when they're alongside that river she's like you know she wants to burn the whole world down and then she goes and loses her mother to namor and now that rage is just it's it's just so much worse and i totally agree that that heart-shaped herb it, it showed her what she needed to see. Well, where was she? Moment. Where was she? She was in the throne room where her mother died. Mm-hmm. That's she came up out of the same uh, break in the floor that mm-hmm. for her mother's. What a cool effect that was, Dre, when she was oh, like that was amazing. Oh, under the water and she comes out dry. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that's trippy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anything i just wanted more killmonger i mean i thought that michael b jordan was so effective given that very limited uh screen time that they gave to him and um and i really liked how the costume even see or the the suit even seemed to be a little bit influenced by him oh man i love it he's like are you going to be noble like your brother or are you going to get things done like me you know like <laughs> oh my god yeah, it's like even in death, he's like the same person. <laughs> yeah, there was a when she was talking to him, and um, when she was talking to him, I I couldn't help but like put myself right back when I was watching the first movie, and like I see your point of view. You're a total jerk, but like you, I see what you're saying. Like I wish he wasn't. I don't know, right all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it gets to be fr- well, Killmonger's frustrating for me, but I, you know, but I agree. It was like you know, she he said exactly what she needed to hear in that moment. And I kept thinking to myself, I kept thinking to myself, man, I wish I could pull off what he's wearing right now. (laughs) (laughs) He's a, he's a, he's a snappy dresser, that Killmonger. (laughs) I could not pull that off is what I said. So, yeah. (laughs) Both times his, his appearance got a big reaction from my audiences. Yeah. He's just one of those those villains that's just going to stand the test of time as being a, an MCU great. Yeah, and um, and I and I think that um, just overall, like I feel that that scene just kind of almost bolstered the Killmonger legacy as well. You know, just because it's like even in death, he's still influencing. Well, Shuri has this really important talk with Mbaku, and he's saying he basically says, "Listen, if you go." in there with this mindset of killing Namor, if you kill Namor, 
you have just waged war on an entire civilization. It's eternal war at that point. They look at this guy as a god. If you kill their god, they are going to keep coming for us. And it's just going to be death, 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 death. I mean, she really has to kind of think about like, you know, what's more important here? Like vengeance for her mother or like the safety of her people? Because like, if you kill him, they're just going to keep coming. They're not going to stop. Yeah, and it's great how in book it's great how Mbaku kind of embedded himself in that role as being the counselor, sort of like the the hand of the king, in, in some sense where he's a little bit more uh, cerebral this time, thinking more so than than he was in the the first film. Yeah, a little bit more. Well, even in, even in this film, Tristan, he starts by suggesting they just go fucking beat the guy's ass. Oh, he's like, I would go and kill the fish man. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think Tristan's dead on, and I think he, the the like character arc happens even in this movie from beginning to end with Mbaku. Well, oh, at the I, end, I loved when he had that talk with her when he's like saying, "You lost so much. There's no way you're a child anymore." I mean, yeah, that, that, that was gorgeous. Really when he's the one that shows up to the challenge ritual, and she isn't there, and he says, "I challenge for the throne." I think that he is looking to become the king of Wakanda, but not the Black Panther. Yeah, agreed. 100%. I think he absolutely will be. Wait, can you be one and not the other? Yes, because when we are first introduced to T'Chaka, T'Chaka is the king of Wakanda, but he's passed on the role of Black Panther to T'Challa. So you can be acting Black Panther and not be the king. So yeah, and, you know what, you and know sometimes being the is? being the panther and having that much power on top of being the king is maybe not what Shuri. You know, you talk Shuri about doesn't want to be queen. I don't think she does either. Yeah, Mm-mm. and that's going to set up a real interesting dynamic for the third film. I, I think Kumbaku is going to be the king, and and they're just going to be he's going to be holding the throne until until the something else comes along. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to talk about later. <laughs> Absolutely. And it kind of calls back to, I don't remember who it was who said earlier in the episode that they would have wanted to see M'Baku travel with Okoye and Shuri to the West. Um, yeah, that was me. That was yeah, me. That's, that's going to be interesting going into the third one if M'Baku is the king now. And he's not just the king of Wakanda, the isolated country. This is now a world power. So presumably he would have international affairs to deal with as king. And this is a guy who's never, yeah, who's never yeah. left Wakanda, and now the sense to the throne, and suddenly has all this stuff thrust upon him. That's going to be very interesting to see him navigate those waters. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see him bark at somebody in the UN. The fucking hey, that's what I'm saying, dude. Like some, like somebody says something, and like he's got like he's got his guys behind him going, oh, 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 shit. I think what. Yeah, I think we'll absolutely see that because he kind of took a back seat in this movie to the our four um uh four women yeah took primary roles. So him taking a back seat in this in the last movie or this movie, I think is going to give way to him having a more prominent role in the third. Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea of a like a Umbako Disney Plus series where it's like a little bit of a twist on coming to America, where we're seeing Umbaku leave Wakanda for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that could be really fun. <laughs> so let's talk about this Shuri Namor fight. She uh, comes up with this strategy that he's less 
powerful uh, the longer he's out of water. And if they can kind of like dry him out, they can weaken him. And so they set up this trap in the ship, the Sea Leopard. So it's got like these, I don't know, it's got like a like like these heaters in there. So it's gonna dry him out. And and um, I, I, you know, that that's not part of his character in the comics. This is something new that they're incorporating for Namor. But uh, I was fine with it, you know. He's yeah, str- yeah, it worked. They needed to find a way to depower him and, you know, science to the rescue and all that. And comedically, it sets up a funny thing where he just needs to have somebody with like a spray bottle. Like yeah. The kind that you'd use to keep your cats off the counter. Right. <laughs> yeah, he needs his own like, you know, like P. Diddy had Farnsworth, you know. Yeah. yeah, Farnsworth <laughs> Bentley. Like he needs his own Farnsworth Bentley with like you know a jug of water that he can just pour on. Super <laughs> soaker or something. Yeah. <laughs> you had to find a way to, to weaken him and somewhat even the scale between him and Shuri because even though Shuri is the Black Panther now, she's not as well trained of a fighter as T'Challa was or even yeah. Okoye or anyone else. Yeah. But she incorporates the technology into her fighting technique, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which yeah. I didn't understand like why the why those like I don't know what she uses, like those plasma cannon or whatever. Like it wouldn't work when it got wet. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I thought they just got damaged in the uh explosion when the That's ship exploded. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, damaged. Yeah, because she raised her arms up. It looked like she tried to activate them, but they were damaged, and she just discarded them and decided okay. to just square up straight hands. I hope she's got Apple Care. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, the AI is basically saying if Namor keeps attacking this ship, it's just going to blow up. And so she, she's, she's fighting him in the ship. Namor gets, like, one more hit on in the ship. It explodes. They end up... Uh, in, in the desert, he's further away from the water than he probably wants to be. They're fighting. He stabs her. She uh, she thinks about her mother dying, and then uses the claws, rips like uh, you know, tears through the through the uh, the staff that he had ran her through with, and and then pulls herself out of it, and then. Um, Gets in front of him, sets off an explosion from the ship that explo- that that kind of you know blew up. She she I guess she turns on like the like the jets or whatever, and it, the the fire comes out of the back of it and just blasts him in the back. And I kept thinking it probably smells like fish sticks right now. And when you get probably smells like the inside of a Long John Silver's. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, she has a, yeah. And, uh, and then she has her moment where she can, she can kill Namor. And this is where, you know, she sees Ramonda, um, her mother saying, you know, show him who you are. And, uh, she just basically says, you know, if you yield, we can end this right now. And, um, and so, yeah, he yields. Um, but, you know, this, this comes with, uh, you know, uh, uh, later on, a scene of uh, Nemora, who is upset that, you know, he made a pact with her. And uh, and he says, listen, the surface world is going to come for her. And when they do, she's going to come to us as an ally, as, as help. 
And so he's still wanting to take on the surface world. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's setting up a lot of things that are going to be played out possibly uh, in Black Panther 3. You never know. Namor could show himself to more than just Wakanda at this point, too. Like, he may take it to the next level. Oh, yeah. They're, I think they'll, they'll definitely... I mean, by the time we get to Secret Wars, we're going to have to see them involved somehow, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, whatever side they're going to be on or, or whether or not he's still just all about taking the surface world down. Yeah. I mean, maybe by Secret Wars, the government's already seized a vibranium, for all we know. I mean, they're definitely foreshadowing that that's not going to stay exclusive to Wakanda and Namor for long, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the surface world and who knows, perhaps a third major player could emerge into this. That was my thought. Is is there going to be some other some other entity that could try and team up with him? That's what I'm thinking. Oh, with like, Namor? Yeah. Well, yeah, like the 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 popular theory is that since the Talacans don't have the technology really to take on like the surface world and 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 maybe that they that we would see Namor team up with Doctor Doom. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I I struggle to see how even though the surface world knows that there's vibranium in the seas and stuff, I struggle to see them finding a way to effectively get to it. But another power, say like, um, what's Doctor Doom's country like, Latveria or whatever the hell. Latveria, it is yes, yeah. I could see somebody like that coming forward and taking advantage of this opportunity where though there's all this conflict and sneaking in and getting his hands on that vibranium. Listen, man, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking about that scene from Endgame where Okoye was talking about the earthquake in the water and i was like man that never came up in this fucking movie at all but could they be holding on to that could there have been somebody looking for vibranium even before the cia was could dr doom have been that cause of that earthquake down there looking for vibranium yeah i can't say that he couldn't that's a great question could that earthquake have been what revealed that vibranium Maybe that fissure was never there before that earthquake. Mm. Let's jump into. Well, okay. Let's say well, Shuri. Shuri burns the ceremonial robes like her mother wanted her to. Which I thought was a really touching scene. She was ready to do that. It was a great bookend. Yeah, I agree. It was very powerful. Oh, it's sure, and I love the way that it carried through the credits, also. Yeah, and the silence. Oh, and I, I can't say that like I didn't love the scene of Ross getting freed when, when, yeah. <laughs> when Okoye says, "A colonizer in chains." <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, the, her burning the ceremonial robes was that was a powerful scene. Um, I, I, you, are you guys ready to talk about the mid credit scene? Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. it. I recorded it. You want to? You want to hear it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, 
This is my son, Toussaint. Toussaint? This is your auntie, Shuri. it was better for him to grow up here away from the pressure of the throne your father your baba prepared us for his death didn't he but he didn't want us to go to the funeral because he felt the time was not yet right so we had our own ceremony for him here did my mother meet him? She did. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Toussaint is a beautiful name. It holds a great history. Thanks. Yours is cool too. Mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> my mom says you're going to keep it secret. Is that true? Yes, I can keep a good secret. Toussaint is my Haitian name. Oguban. My name is Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Challa. Yeah, so, um... Yeah, I, uh, this is one of those rumors that I had heard about. And, um, when I, I, I'll be honest with you, when I saw this on Monday, I, <laughs> I was fist pumping like I was at Arsenio Hall live taping. <laughs> fucking, I was, who, I was fucking fist pumping like you wouldn't believe. I think I scared the shit out of Connor sitting next to me. Like, I was violently. <laughs> fist pumping because it it's one of those things where I was just because Chadwick was taken away from us the character of T'Challa was taken away from us and this is kind of like a way to 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 carry on that legacy and to kind of bring T'Challa back right yes yeah. mm -hmm. yes and no because the only my only issue is the child is six it's the MCU it's the MCU <laughs> yeah. they can age we have a whole well, think about it. Think about how many years we just like jumped ahead in 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 the MCU. We jumped ahead five years with the blip. I mean, they can age. And think about this: we're going into the Kang Dynasty into Secret Wars, where Kang is playing with time. They could age this kid up, and by Black Panther four, we could have a fully grown T'Challa. Exactly. By Black Panther four, yes, but I was more thinking that he could. Be a part of Black Panther three, but if you're saying four, then okay, yeah, he could be a part of Black Panther three. If we get into the Secret Wars, they could find a way to age this character up a hundred percent. If if Black Panther makes his way into the quantum realm and then all and then leaves the quantum realm, we could have an aged up 
we could have it aged up T'Challa by the time we get to Black Panther 3 if they really wanted to do this. There's a lot of things that they could do to age this character up. Yeah, without a doubt. If they go down that route where there are some sort of shenanigans or something that happens in the midst of Secret War that causes an, an, a rapid aging of Prince T'Challa that results into a adult T'Challa earlier than we would expect where that character would be, whether obviously they would have to cast a new actor to play the adult, then I will say that that is a pretty ingenious way of navigating this whole recast T'Challa debate that's gone on since Chadwick passed. I also, with that being said, I was completely shocked by this ending because I, like I said, I knew the rumor was out there. You had reported on it. Other people have reported on it. But I didn't believe it at all for the very reason that Nana had just mentioned him being such a kid. And I just I didn't see how the kid was going to fit in with everything else going on. Like it to, like you said, he was he's six. He's so young. I just I couldn't wrap my head around. How's he going to fit in? Sure, you bring him in and he's a kid. But if you're with the way the way the. Um, the rest of these characters that we've been introduced to that are kind of going to be these new next generation of Avengers or these young Avengers, like your Kate Bishops, your Miss uh, um, Marvels and all of them. He's substantially younger than them. So I couldn't yeah. see how he would fit in with them. And that was my hold up. But if they go down the route that you just um, proposed, Brian, then, yeah, it could totally work. And that would actually be pretty damn genius. They'll figure it out. They're going to find a way to figure this out. Trust me, it's it, they're gonna they're gonna figure all of this out. Um, and and then another thing is that you know people when T'Challa's love interest was Nakia, there was a there was a large group of people that you know were hoping that he would get involved with Storm. Now this version of T'Challa. Oh, oh I like that. Yeah, guys. Yeah, dude. I'm telling you, this version of T'Challa, I would not be surprised if by the time we get introduced to Storm, she's around the same age and we could have a T'Challa that has romantic, um, a romantic connection with the X-Men Storm. I'm, 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 I'm I'm firmly believing that that's where they're going to go with this. That's, that's brilliant. Just, yeah, it'd be I excellent. Post, you need to make sure you post that somewhere so you're the first when that rumor comes true that you can say you did it. <laughs> I'll never a podcast. I'm doing a podcast, <laughs> but I won't get credit for it. The first person that's on Reddit that listens to this will not give me credit for it and will post it on Reddit, and I will not get any credit at all. I I'll promise post you that. It on Reddit yourself because you need all the credit if that comes true because that's a that's a fantastic idea. And I haven't I haven't seen it posted anywhere. So that's a hey, fucking that chess move right sick. there. That that's chess. Sick. The uh, actor that played young T'Challa, his name is Divine Love Kanaru's son. And um, they're guessing that he is around six years old. Uh, this, yeah, the mid credit scene establishes that 
Toussaint was born either shortly before or shortly after Thanos' attack on Earth in Avengers Infinity War, which potentially establishes his birth year as 2018. The film is set approximately two years after Black Panther, which means that it would be some time before Nakia became pregnant following the events of T'Challa's first standalone feature. As for Toussaint's age, the Marvel Studios producer Nate Moore stated via Cinema Blend that Wakanda Forever potentially takes place concurrently with Thor Love and Thunder. Though Love and Thunder's MCU placement is complicated, it seems to be set around 2025, which makes Toussaint T'Challa approximately six years old. I think that does line up also with what Screen Rant was saying about this. Where did they say? they? Oh, they, they think it's set in late 2024. So... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be 2025, late 2024, somewhere around there. Did you notice that he was the one that said bonjour to the uh, queen when she came to? Yeah, he was in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was him? That was him. Yeah, he was, was like, him. he's yeah. like, shit. He's like uh, telling Nakia that, uh, oh, you're here to see the, uh, no, Ra- uh, Queen Ramonda, that you're here to see the headmistress. That was him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was him. I didn't notice that until second watch. Yeah, I'll clock on the same. So, yeah, um, it's it's I think it's very smart of T'Challa to have his son raised in Haiti away from the pressures of being, you know, the king. Also, think about the fact that if it was announced that um, that, you know, that T'Challa had a son and then after the blip, he would have been immediately he would have been made king. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and and then think about think about that. Think about if if if, if this movie happens, Namor is like going to Namor is going to try to kidnap this kid, kill this kid. You know, like just keep yeah. him out of this, man. Just keep it, keep him out of this, and also have him be part of the world because I think that's one of the things with Wakanda is that they were so kind of like separated from the world that. That maybe they didn't have the the empathy for the rest of the world, maybe what the rest of the world was going through, and that's what Killmonger was very angry about. Like, why didn't you step in? You know, when when all, over the years, when like our people were you know being enslaved and things like that, and so like this kid's gonna have an appreciation and a love for both sides, and I think that's what's gonna make him a great king going forward. And I think that's where T'Challa was headed as well. So. It's. I think T'Challa saw that, and he's like, "I want my son raised in the world and, and away from these pressures." I, I, I think it's. I think it's pretty awesome, and I love it. Yeah, I think this is just a brilliant move on all fronts because it it, it pleases the people that didn't want to recast T'Challa, and it also pleases the people that want t'challa to live on in the mcu and and also the actor that's going to end up playing so the adult version of him does not have the same pressure of following Look at Nate. chadwick boseman and being the same character exactly what's going on oh i'm yeah. sorry i apologize guys i had something playing i'm gonna play a clip later and it it, it was playing right there i apologize um let's see here Oh, let's talk about the Doctor Doom rumors of it all. Um, mm. uh, 
there were rumors that there was going to be a, another post credit scene um, with uh, a Doctor Doom reveal. And um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever producer um, Nate Moore was talking to Collider, and he said that this film never had an end credit scene. That's what I was going to play the audio for. Let's see if I can play this right now. One moment. I'm going to start with congratulations. Uh, oh, thank you. You guys literally did the impossible. You made something that's very respectful of Chadwick, but also keeping the franchise going, introducing all these new characters. Right. I, I don't think people realize the level of difficulty in, in making this film. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> no, it was tough. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it was already going to be tough just trying to make a sequel to the first film because of how it was received and, and how it sort of hit people. Uh, and then obviously got complicated by, by Chad's passing and, and sort of our kind of human reactions to that event. And, uh, you know, I think, Ryan uh, figured out a way to sort of maybe do the impossible, which is to marry the emotion of what was happening and 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 art and art and entertainment uh, imitating life to a degree, but also delivering on the promise of characters like Namor and the Talo Khan and Riri Williams. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of ideas in the movie that don't feel like they're in, in conflict with each other, um, and it hopefully makes for an epic experience for people. Hundred uh, percent. So I have, I have some like, speed round questions, Let's if you it. will. Uh, what is the status of this untitled Wakanda series? Yeah. So it, look, it. Uh... You guys don't mind if I just play this? I mean, no, I want to hear this because he, yeah, he's going to talk about a lot of stuff. And I know he's eventually going to ask him the Doom question, but is it okay if we just kind of play some of this? Because yeah, yeah. I was, well, you stopped it. Stop I was yeah. like, what the fuck yeah. did you stop it yeah. for? <laughs> okay, okay. I just was, I because I I gave you the Doom tease, you know. I kind of you know, and, and he wasn't talking about it. I just wanted to make sure you guys wanted to hear this. Here we go. Uh, because of the amount of time and attention that went into this film, and frankly, the Ironheart show. That is that is probably not as far along as people want it to be, but there are certainly great ideas that we're still talking to Ryan about. So we'll, we'll see how far we can get with it. What is the status of Ironheart in terms of is it is it done filming? It's is it nearly filming? complete. I think they they might be on their second to last day, if I'm not mistaken. I heard rumors, and I, I want you to clarify. Sure. I heard rumors that originally at the end of the credits of Wakanda Forever, you were going to have a a final credit scene. Was that ever the case? No, actually. Uh, uh, and I've heard those rumors too. No, you know, I think the uh, subject matter of the film was such that it, it didn't feel appropriate to have then like a stinger. You know what I mean? And much like uh, Endgame felt like an emotional experience that you also didn't need like a stinger at the end of this. This felt like we we just wanted to tell the story as 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 it was conceived without uh, without an added added bonus. So unfortunately, there isn't an end credits. I uh, think the mid-credit yeah. scene is phenomenal yeah. and perfect, and yeah. I am glad there's nothing at the end. Yeah. I, you guys totally made the right call. Yeah. Um, uh, what were some of the alternate titles that this film almost was called? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there was a, literally like a list of hundreds. Um, that's what Black Panther 3 is for. That's right. <laughs> no, and, and, you, and, you, and you start to, as <laughs> you're like, like Kingdom of the Deep, like you're like, does it have to be about Namor? And then we realized that that Wakanda Forever felt right because it's a story about um, sort of triumph through adversity. It's a story about legacy. It's a story about persistence. And Wakanda Forever says all those things. You know, initially, I will say this uh, at one point, it was like, oh, that feels like the title of the third movie. 
Like, where do you go from Wakanda forever? That feels like it's the end. But no, it's it's actually, it felt really appropriate thematically to the story we were t- trying to tell. The mid credit scene yep. is phenomenal. Yep. How early on did you know that was going to be the scene? Pretty early on. I mean, that was that was always the end of the movie. Uh, uh, pretty much since Chad's passing, um, I think the first draft we got had that in there. Um, and... And the notion of of the character introduced in that scene actually predated Chad's passing. To be quite honest, we always liked the idea that that uh, that. Uh, oh know, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So so, um, but it was repurposed kind of thematically once Chad passed, um, and hopefully feels like um, renewal at a, after a time of adversity. I'm curious about the strength of the Atlanteans on the bridge. Yeah. Because they are, um, they basically get their ass kicked. Yeah. I mean, fatal blows and they yeah. get up. Yeah. How do you describe their powers? Yeah. We've talked a lot about that. Like, uh, are they sort of super soldier esque? Do they, you know, um, I'm a, a bit of a nerd. So I used to play the Marvel Heroes role playing game and you're like, wait, do they have like body armor? Like, do they have like a, a 10? What is, um, but no, we, we sort of see them as sort of super soldier level, partially because they live under the water. So they're a bit tougher. Their skin's a bit tougher. Um, their bones probably are lighter, but their muscle density is increased. So, so they are, uh, uh, stronger than humans, certainly. Um, and were able to withstand a, a Koye's otherwise killing strokes, um, much to her frustration. Um, which I think makes them incredibly formidable. So, so if and when we see them again, I think whoever comes across them might be in some trouble. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, what is your next Marvel project? Uh, Captain America: New World Order. And where are you in the development? We are in pre-production. We start shooting next spring. Oh yes, I just realized what this is all. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have a script that you guys are super happy with? Uh, we do. We do. Can you tease? Uh, well, look, uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America. He is going to bring his own team to play. And it's no secret that, you know, Samuel Stearns is making his return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, uh, which is fantastic because Tim Blake Nelson is the best. And uh, Harrison Ford is taking on the role of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Um, and and to see Sam Wilson and, and, and Thunderbolt Ross, which if you remember, actually threw him in prison at the end of Civil War because he violated the Sokovia Accords, there's going to be some natural sparks there, which I think are going to be really fun. Do you foresee uh, Black Panther? Listen, I know you, the movie hasn't even come out yet. Yeah. But obviously, Black Panther is going to be a, a huge part, and these characters are going to be a huge part of the MCU going forward. Yeah. Do you envision a Black Panther three in the next three four years, or do you think this is going to be something where the Wakanda and the characters are just sort of embedded into the rest of the MCU? That's a great question, and and to be honest, and this is not me. Uh, this is this is not me trying to not uh, answer the question. We really want to see how audiences receive the film, you know. And I think Ryan's really interested to see how the film plays before we decide. There are certainly ideas we've floated around of what a a third film could be if we get to make it. But uh, but until uh, the movie comes out, we we certainly we're a bit superstitious in that way. We don't want to count our chickens. Because uh, you never know what's going to happen. This is going to be a monster hit. Oh, like, this isn't even a debate. Like, I've, I've, like I mean... I hope you're correct. This, this movie is going to be massive because it's so good. And right. also, pe- people are going to love it. Um, did you end up with a lot of deleted scenes on this movie? We ended up with some deleted scenes, yeah. When you say some, I'm curious what that actually means. Uh, more than two, less than ten? Uh, no, there's some great stuff. I mean, uh, I would say every character has... 
every character, maybe not every character, a lot of characters have scenes that, that are great scenes that the movie just couldn't bear. It's already a relatively long movie. Um, but, uh, uh, and we wanted to make sure the movie felt as focused as it could while doing as much as it's doing. Um, but there are some deleted scenes that are really cool. How much of those deleted scenes were like close to completed or completed before being removed? Ah, um, I think there's a spectrum. There's some, there's some that sort of from the director's cut didn't make it forward. There's some that we played with for a long time and screened and screened multiple times. Um, we're kind of notorious for tinkering a lot in editorial and trying things. And, and Ryan, by the way, is as well. Uh, so things are in, things are out. What about this over here? Um, so some are closer to completion. Some are, are pretty raw. Well, my thing is that with Disney Plus, and obviously yeah. you want people to go to the streaming site yeah. at, at some point. So how much are you guys already talking about? Like, look, we can do the Black Panther Wakanda Forever extended cut sure. and put it on Disney Plus. Yeah, we, you know, we've, we've typically resisted that and I think we'll continue to because we like to think we and the filmmakers landed on, on what the movie should be. So I don't know that we'll ever assemble into, I'll never say never. I don't think we'll assemble into a longer like director's cut, but certainly I think there's ways to get those scenes out there in the world without building a, an extended edition. Yeah, it's called premiering on Collider. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, um, what is the la- what is the one scene that if you could put it back in the movie, like the thing that you the last thing you cut out before picture locking? Right. I mean, there's there's certainly a scene um, with Okoye and Io after Okoye has been fired. That's really interesting. Um, that again, I think is incredibly watchable. It just it just slowed the pace down of the movie a little bit, but uh, you get to see Akoya react to sort of the new general, and you and you get to see what she was planning to do before uh, before the events of of Namor and, and the Talokan coming to Wakanda happened. It's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, anytime you want to show it to me, <laughs> literally send me a text and I will respond. There you go. You know, on that note, I'm just going to say congrats. It really is going to be a huge. End. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate so, it. All right, there you go. I let you guys listen to the whole fucking thing. That was great. I loved it. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I really yeah. liked his opinion about not doing director's cuts of of these movies. I that always frustrates me when I I agree with that philosophy that once it hits the theater, that's that's your final cut. Like you yeah. have to make those hard choices and make them count. Yeah. Uh, I would. Uh, they they said Doom was never in the plans, but this week. Jeff Snyder of the Hot Mike podcast claims that Dr. Doom is going to be introduced during the credits of the new Fantastic Four movie. Quote, I'm told that Dr. Doom is not the villain of Fantastic Four, that Dr. Doom will be introduced basically in like a mid-credit or post-credit scene in Fantastic Four. Oh, cool. I buy that too. I, I think the MCU never wants to just redo what's already been done before, as we've seen by previous examples. Uh, the last two iterations of Fantastic Four began with Doctor Doom, so that just feels so like Kevin Feige to just do it a third time. 
um, yeah, seeing him post-credit sequence makes a ton of sense here. Yeah, we had two, uh, you know, two other Spider-Men before we got Tom Holland, and we just didn't want to see Uncle Ben die for the third time. We got his origin story kind of sprinkled over the, you know, course of three movies. You know, so they're going to do things differently in this one. Per- perfect example. I just like when we see the X-Men for the first time. I'd be very surprised if we're doing Magneto movie one. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into speculation for Black Panther 3. And then after that, I want to talk about is Ryan Coogler returning for Black Panther 3. But Black Panther 3, let's like from what we gather in this movie, governments are wanting to get their hands on vibranium. I think that all of the Val and Everett Ross government stuff is going to be picked up again in... In Secret Invasion, I think we're going to see it in Thunderbolts. I think we're going to see it in Captain America New World Order. Um, what could we see in Secret Invasion? Could we find out Wakanda as kind of like hidden as it was for so long? Could we find out that scrolls have infiltrated Wakanda as Wakandans? What do you I could see it. That would be that would be very bad news for people if the scrolls got some vibranium well, too. Well, <laughs> I think so. Well, how do we get into Wakanda when they've got this massive force field? Maybe, maybe could Wakabi be a fucking scroll? Oh wow! I'd never considered that. Daniel Kaluuya's character. Could he be a scroll? Could he could he could he be part of the downfall of Wakanda? Could he be the one that drops the shield and allows possibly the thunderbolts to make their way into Wakanda and get their hands on some vibranium? Are we working on the assumption? Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going Are we working on the assumption that Wakabi would have been a scroll the entire time or that somebody or that something happened to him while he was in prison? Uh, he, I mean, there was an original Wakabi. Maybe, maybe something happened to him in prison, but I wouldn't put it out of his. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying he's been. I'm, I'm saying he's been a scroll for a while. Yeah, but still, post the first movie is where I sit with it. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Only thing about it happening post first movie is then you're still raising the question of how the hell do the scrolls get into Wakanda? Yeah, it may, would, if, he, if Wakabi is the guy, it would make more sense to me if he's been a scroll the entire time or long before or sometime before the events of the first movie. Maybe some point he may have traveled outside of Wakanda at some point prior to Black Panther one. And that's when the switch happened at some point. I like Quite that. I like that. That makes for a good flashback scene, too. Well, or yeah. it could just be a war dog, too. That that gets impersonated because if there's anybody that could infiltrate Wakanda, it would it would definitely be the Skrulls. Hear me out. Yeah. Um, I mean, unlikely, but Akoya is bringing Everett Ross into Wakanda. That could have been a setup. Hmm. Okay. I, I I like part of the idea. I like. The aspect of Daniel Kaluuya's character betraying Wakanda to the to, to the Thunderbolts. Um, I don't love the idea of him being a scroll, though. 
what, you, what about just the idea? What about the idea that scrolls have infiltrated Wakanda? That there are scrolls within the within the community. I like that, and I think it's I something know. that could totally be doable. I think the one of the reasons, in a sense, in my opinion, why Namor was able to infiltrate Wakanda was because he had on vibranium. Um, and if vibranium is something that could only be found on Earth, either in Wakanda or in Talakon, I just don't see it. Obviously, I understand that aliens have, you know, better tech than we have, but for me, I just don't love that idea. I just don't see it. Just hear me oh, out. Just see. hear me out. Like, what we oh. know about Secret Invasion is that there are going to be two sets of scrolls. There's going to be scrolls that are working with Nick Fury, and then there's going to be scrolls that are also working on the side that, you know, uh, Rhodey is working on. So we're going to see basically like Rhodey versus Nick Fury in Secret Invasion. And I mean, the government right now, they're going after Vibranium and they might have just had, they might have found a way to get some of these scrolls as Wakandans to infiltrate Wakanda and they're just waiting for the signal. I don't know. I mean, how else do you bring down Wakanda than with it, than from within? I hope Secret yeah. Invasion is such a big deal that we're using something like them invading Wakanda to really sell home how, how dangerous these scrolls are. My my worry is the whole storyline is going to be a little bit more low-key than that. Okay. But then I, let's go I with would, another storyline. Let's go with another storyline. Let's jump to the Thunderbolts movie. Val trying to use her team to infiltrate Wakanda for vibranium resources. So – it's all part of a setup because we know that Everett Ross is going to be telling Shuri everything that Val is planning. Now now that they've busted him out, now that the Koi busted him out, when he gets back, he's going to be able to tell Shuri and, and, and Baku that, yeah, I had a talk with her. The government wants to get their they they're dreaming about getting their hands on vibranium. It's it's an important resource that they need for their military. Um what I can't wrap my head around is is the fact that one of the members on the team of the Thunderbolts is Bucky Barnes. I think that if he is doing something for the Thunderbolts against Wakanda, it's unbeknownst to him. He has no idea that Val is using him to get into Wakanda so she can gather intel or, or whatever he's going to be doing there. I agree. I don't see him – I don't see him going and crossing Wakanda on purpose. Yeah, you answered my question because that was literally what I was going to like interrupt and be like, but Bucky wouldn't do that because he's the White Wolf. And then bringing up Bucky, I kind of would have liked him to have been in this movie. And if he's not, he he has to be in Black Panther 3. Uh, I, I think we're Bucky, we're definitely going to be seeing... You know, probably, hopefully he'll show up in Captain America, New World Order. And we know we're getting him in the Thunderbolts. And I, I, I can't think that the Thunderbolts is not going to tie into something that's going on in Wakanda. I really feel like. I agree, because Val's going to be such a big part of that movie. She was, you know, a part of this movie. Yeah, And there's definitely a connection there. Are they going to break this, this, this attack? That the Talacans had on that ship. 
Is that going to like that's something that they have to address, right? Because like even though it was the Talacans, I think the government is going to spin it as a t- as an attack that the Wakandans made on those men, 100%. and that's going to be viewed as uh, an international incident that we that 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 the government can use as an act of like that was an act of war we need to go to war with wakanda and they're gonna spin that in the media and so it's going they're gonna get the public support of going to war against wakanda they're gonna spin this on the news like wakanda attacks you know this ship and and Mm -hmm. they're gonna show the pictures of the men that died and they're gonna blame this on wakanda it's not gonna be the talicans it's gonna be wakanda and I think that it's going to be like the surface world going to war against Wakanda. And there's going to be some way that they get into Wakanda. And they, I can totally see by the end of this, the government, you know, bringing in planes and things like that and just just stripping it of of its vibranium resources. That'll be so sad. But yeah, oh, yeah that'd be terrible. That all lines up like travesty to Wakanda is definitely the kind of thing these big events should be leading up towards like that. And I can see that happening in the Thunderbolts. That was yeah. Wakanda, man. Wakanda's been through a lot. Like even when the Thanos went to Earth, like all that shit happened in Wakanda. You've now had this movie with Namor. Like I'm just like, give Wakanda a break, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, hear, where real. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from because, yeah. As much as we want to see Wakanda still be protected and still be this glorious nation that we came to love from the first movie, I don't think we're done seeing them being torn down. And if they do spin that uh, that ship attack against the Wakandas and turn the international community against Wakanda, yeah, that would be plausible reason for them to take military action against this country, which is still in a state of flux and is been further weakened by the attacks of namor and a for all to and for everything that happened in this movie it's not we can't forget that nobody alive outside of wakandans has seen any of the telecons they yeah. were only seen by wakandans so they are still very much a mystery to the rest of the outside world yeah and yeah if they if the international community turns against wakanda and somehow forces their way in or something like that then that would further feed into Namor's plans of Wakanda being weakened and having to turn to them for help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where the Namor of it. That'll be interesting to see what happens in that. I, I you know, I, there's a lot of theories out there as to like <sighs> how they're going to attack Wakanda. I, I, I can definitely see maybe. Ross turning into Red Hulk and and just rampaging through Wakanda as well. Damn, I don't want to see that happen, though. Yeah, that'll really sell (laughs) him as a villain, though, when they do that. That, That's a great move. I think, too, and this may just be like wishful thinking, I would, although I think it would make for a great story, I hope they don't go too far with it. I don't, like, finding your way into Wakanda, whether it be through a scroll or whatever way, and then pillaging them of their vibranium, I think maybe a little bit, I think for some people, it may be a bit too, maybe a 
Re- yeah, it may be a bit too real. It may be a bit too yeah. harsh for a nation like Wakanda, which mirrors so many nations that exist. The vibranium doesn't exist, but so I think. Yeah, uh, that's a good. Th- it's a good angle. I, if they do it, I hope they don't go too hard with it because I think it may be just a little too harsh. I mean, yeah. li- uh, the, the the MCU has gone uh, a little dark in that way. Like even in like the Black Widow movie with like the girls being taken, it almost reminded us of like sex trafficking, you know? So, Mm -hmm. right. You know, like, yeah. So I don't think they shy away from this kind of stuff. And I, it just leads me to like everything that we've seen from like the government and the way they were acting in this movie. It just makes me feel like that's the end game. Like, can it be averted? Possibly, but it it just, I keep feeling like there's going to be, it's going to be sad, you know? Yeah, it'll be 100% going to be an attempt. Yes, yes. I was even thinking about in this movie at the beginning when they're telling her that, you know, that she promised to help and then she's sitting there as they're trying to manipulate her and she's like, I know you're trying to steal it as you're talking to me. They've already, that's, I, I agree that they're kind of setting the stage for trying to get one over on Wakanda to get what they feel they are entitled to. Um, for whatever reason, it just it feels so icky, and that's a yeah. good thing. But yeah. It feels icky. Yeah, it'll be it, very it should. Disturbing. It'll yeah, it'll be very disturbing and upsetting because if you think about the narrative, that things that we already know in the real world of how um, Africa, the nation, has been stripped of some of its riches throughout history of its gold and mm. blood diamonds and things of that nature, and then if you see something like Wakanda, which is an African nation, being more or less somewhat stripped of its vibranium. In the in in the MCU, yeah, it could bring out some very painful or disturbing parallels. I think Kugler's already done that a lot with like what we've seen in these first two movies as well. You know, yeah, yeah. Not to say that it won't happen. I'm just saying, like, yeah. No, like it is. It's ugly, but I also think that like Kugler has found a way to like show us why it is and kind of like point the finger and make us like think about how ugly our history is and like why it's wrong and why these things shouldn't be repeated so yeah. but if that does happen yeah. then that kind of leads me to the next question is okay if we're gonna if we're gonna break down Wakanda even more then where does the triumph come yeah no I get it yeah yeah like where where does when the do triumph we, come? when do we see them rise but when do we see to get them yeah. rise back up right no, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe that happens in Black Panther three, maybe or Black Panther four. Who knows? But yeah, they steal Doom's time sled and then they fix everything <laughs> at the end of Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I could see like a like more like a like a secret incursion more than like an all out war again, just because we've already seen the all out war and everything in Wakanda. Whereas to to see like maybe the Thunderbolts or something like that go in is like a like a covert mission to try and steal a bunch of vibranium. Yeah, but I think we'll also see, you know, other people stand up for Wakanda, right? You know, hopefully an appearance by some of the other MCU heroes showing up for Wakanda as well, right? Yeah. Captain yeah, it'd be America. pretty bogus if they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is Coogler coming back for the third Black Panther film? That's a big question. I got this from Variety. There's also the matter of a third Black Panther movie. It's no spoiler to note that Wakanda Forever concludes with several plot strands primed to be continued in a subsequent film, even as the movie resolves how the nation and its citizens cope with the death of its leader, King T'Challa. With the death of star Chadwick Boseman still fresh for him two years later, Coogler sighs wearily when asked whether he would want to direct another Black Panther movie. Quote, I can definitely, I can definitively, I can tell you definitively I have no idea what I'm doing next as a writer and director. For his part, Marvel Studios chief Kevin Feige says he has had conversations with Coogler about a third Black Panther movie with, quote, ideas pitched back and forth. But would Feige ever consider making a Black Panther movie without Coogler? Quote, I go back to what I said when we decided to make Wakanda Forever after losing Chad. This mythology and this ensemble and these characters deserve to continue and will continue after all of us are gone, I hope, and will continue forever in movies the way it has in comics for 50-plus years. But Feige adds, working without Coogler wouldn't be the preference. Um, I honestly don't feel like this comes down to money for Coogler. And I would say that a lot of directors coming back to a project, yeah, just the, you know, dump truck full of money, they're going to come back. I, I I feel like this was – I feel like this was kind of like – this was really taxing on him probably. Um Oh, yeah. to, to do this. And so he might just need that break and he might just need to go back and direct something a little bit more personal, personal, like a, like a Fruitvale station or something like that. And so I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, you know, Michael B. Jordan steps up as the next director of the third Black Panther movie going forward. Especially well, if Creed three does well. Yes. Michael, um, Kugler's an author director and, He seems like the type of person that just really wants to kind of make, you know, art house films alongside these things as well. Just things that are personal to him. And he's been working for Marvel now for like the past five years. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, I'm pretty sure he's itching to tell a different story. So I can see him possibly going and doing his own thing. And we just get a Black Panther sequel way down the line, maybe like four or five years from now. You know, and I think that's kind of like why there's been no movement on this Wakanda series as well, because of like what he's had to deal with here recently. So, and I don't think it's like, I don't think he has any like bad feelings or negative feelings towards the people at Marvel Studios. I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's just that this has been really taxing on him and he probably just wants to get away. You know, like look at the Russo brothers, you know, they... They went they went through this. I mean, they made, mm-hmm. you know, some big movies back to back to back and and they just they were just like we got to, you know, we got to do our own thing. You know, maybe we'll come back in the future and give you something maybe one more time, but we we're going to we're going to step away for a while. And I feel yeah. like maybe Coogler's like in that same boat right now. He just needs yeah. to step away from from Marvel. He needs a palate cleanser he needs to just kind of work on something a little bit more personal and uh, intimate and not as big and so much pressure but you know he 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 leaves with like a lot of like uh you know he next movie it, it'll they could put like you know from the director of black panther the from the director of black panther wakanda forever you know so 
it, oh yeah, that's huge for him. It's going to give him some uh, some recognition in yeah. that. Yeah, but, yeah. Or they can just like carry on a lot of these Black Panther storylines and you know bigger tentpole films, Avenger films, and he can just be a, a very active uh, executive producer on them as well. But they eventually got to get back to it, Tristan. It's like, we've got to yeah, get, uh, you know, oh, de- definitely a hundred percent, but meaning like you don't have to rush out a sequel to keep the storyline going. Yeah. I mean, for even with everything that the Russos did, they did, I don't think they had to deal with anything as emotionally draining as what Coogler had to pull off with this film. So no. yeah, I could absolutely oh, see for him. sure. Yeah. I could and there was two of them. Back. There was two of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know the Russo yeah. brothers. There's two of them, and it's like this is just Coogler, right? And it's just him by himself, yeah, carrying that load. So I could definitely see him taking a step back and just taking a break from well, the reports from, from things. Period. So Tristan, what you're saying is basically like they can like play some of this stuff out in future installments in the MCU that are not Black Panther tentpole movies. But give him that break, and then hopefully within the next five to six years, he'll be willing to come back and direct that third movie. Yeah, I mean, like, we saw, like, this, you know, Wakanda show up in Falcon and Winter Soldier. We saw, I mean, Wakanda can show up in other vehicles that he's heavily involved in or even possibly assist in the writing of it. But, you know, he doesn't have to break his back directing an entire movie for it. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that. He could be just be a consultant on the uh, Wakandan series and somehow somebody else takes the reins as showrunner and directors of the episodes while he just sits back as a consultant and helps out from a distance. And perhaps if somebody really emerges within that show as being really excellent, then perhaps they can move forward. And with the Black Panther series, if Ryan Coogler decides that he doesn't want to return to it. I think I think you know if they if they handed the reins to Michael B. Jordan and if Creed three is a huge success, I think a lot of people would be happy with that decision. I mean he he's part of the franchise. Mm-hmm. He's done multiple movies with Coogler. He's learned from Coogler. Uh, I would be fine with it, but you know if I I'm like Feige though. If I have my preference, I want Coogler to come back and do the third movie. Yeah, I would rather Michael B. Jordan cut his teeth on us. A, a, a bit of a smaller movie, maybe a Blade than a, a Black Panther three, because <laughs> you know, like this is a really this is an epic ass movie. I mean, Wakanda Forever is as big as an Avenger film as far as just the scope of it, and it just might be too much for a guy who's only directed one film. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so this kind of put like a damper on the rumors that Coogler was going to be directing Secret Wars because that was a rumor. Um, ComingSoon.net said, speaking to Variety, Feige spoke about his love of working with Coogler, whose next film is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Feige went on to note that the pair have had conversations about the third Black Panther movie. However, when asked about Secret Wars, Feige said that while he would want Coogler to do anything, he hasn't spoken to him about it. Uh, Quote, well, I would want Ryan to do anything at any time because he's a singular talent and a great person to spend years with. But no, in all honesty, there have been no conversations. We've not spoken to him about Secret Wars. Um, additionally, Coogler also directly commented on the Secret Wars speculation by saying, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds real. Um, see, listen, Feige's going to want to get this guy to come back and do Black Panther 3. You're not going to try to push Secret Wars on the guy before you can even get him to come back and do Secret Wars <laughs> before you can get him to do Black Panther 3. So don't push Secret Wars on the guy. That's even a bigger project, right? I mean, that's 
Yeah, yeah that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> You're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, oh, some additional talking points that, oh, that I wanted to bring up um, that I didn't bring up. Um, Uh, let's see here. Is there anything in these additional talking points that I didn't bring up that I want to talk about? Um, not really. I guess like the I think it, the, the one of the things that I liked about Shuri's character arc here is that she starts off as a woman of science, doesn't believe in the gods, and then by the end of the movie, she's like a full believer, right? So we got to see that change out of that character. Um, not only is she a woman of science now, but she also believes in, you know, the ancestral plane and her, and, uh, Bast. So that's something, um, I think we pretty much covered everything. I don't know. Did you guys have any final thoughts about, about the movie? I, w- I, I want to make sure before we end that I bring up that I cheered when Namor said his comic book catchphrase and then immediately felt embarrassed because no one else in my entire theater had any reaction to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he said Rex Imperius, nobody is like, yeah, there was like zero reaction in my audience. I was like, yes. And it was like crickets. <laughs> I was like, uh. Maybe I should have gone to the Thursday show. <laughs> yeah. Imperious Rex, what? <laughs> um, I, I found it amusing that the actor that played Namor didn't know how to swim or wasn't a very strong swimmer. Same that was, with Ryan a, that was a funny news story. Yeah, same yeah. with Ryan Coogler. They both weren't, like, very good swimmers, so they both had to, like, take lessons. Yeah, Ryan Coogler learned how to swim so that he can actually be down there with the cameraman. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. Yeah, I'm picturing Neymar with, like, the arm floaties on. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> A yellow duck inner tube. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. yeah uh, oh, man. Uh, Namor one of the best villains. Uh, and then I, I will say it again. I said it on the reaction, uh, podcast, but, uh, this is my favorite mid credits, post credits, anything that we've ever seen. Yeah. This thing hit me hard. And, and after two viewings, it, it fucking made me cry both times. And I'm not a, a big crier. And, and the fact that I just had tears, leaving the theater twice it's a, like i there's no fucking way i couldn't have where this movie the, it, the way that it just moved me emotionally like that yeah yeah which is which is all more boggling when fucking nana and stephanie shit on our tupperware party the pressure was there rating. The pressure with that. Um, I want to. I, I seriously want to stop the podcast now and clockwork orange you guys to to, <laughs> to watch it again and come back here and change your fucking ratings. Wait, I will let you know once I've seen it a second time because it, it, it does seem to that two of you said that. It, yeah. You left the cinema. Yeah, and it is, I yeah. paced it and then your opinions on it went higher second time round. Uh-huh. Um, one other. I don't know. Like. I know we're all getting older, but it seems a lot nowadays that 
a lot of movies the sound quality isn't great so like you miss out on certain words and i you know kind of like your connection this episode (laughs) god damn it um yeah nah um i am looking forward to seeing it on uh it coming to disney plus so i can watch it again have the subtitles pause rewatch certain bits um I just spend a little bit more time with it and see if my opinion does change. I hope it does. I hope I hope your opinion does change. I don't put any pressure on Stephanie at all. You are fucking who knows what Stephanie's going to think about. You might <laughs> you might drop it down to a toss it, Stephanie. You just <laughs> Anyway, I like to be the wild card. You are the wild card. I'm telling you. Hey, Nana, you said you got a chance to see this in IMAX 3D? Oh, yeah, man. It was fucking sweet. Dude. I, when, like, when, it was clean. Yeah, dude. In, in IMAX 3D, I don't know if, if anybody else who's listening got to see this sucker in IMAX 3D. The Talacan stuff, like when you get to the city, and especially like when they're when when Shuri is kind of flying through that current, like I got a little bit of motion sickness there for a bit, you know? I was like, holy shit, man, we're moving. We're ch- we're we're chugging along. <laughs> it was awesome. It looked pretty good. And I did you get the Ant Man Quantum Mania trailer before the movie started? No, um I don't think I did. I That's- did and I'm telling you that if you can watch Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania in IMAX 3D, do it. Because, like, that trailer in 3D was phenomenal. Looking at the quantum realm in 3D was amazing. Okay. That really made the difference. It made a huge difference, man. <laughs> it looked gorgeous, Jake. I know you said that you weren't impressed with the way it looked. In 3D, it pops, dude. It is awesome. Okay. Yeah. Hard to look worse. So, yeah. Oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. It looked awesome. But then immediately after that, they showed me the Avatar, The Way of the Water trailer in 3. It fucking is sick as fuck, isn't it? Oh, my God. I thought showing that Avatar trailer before this movie was a little bit unfair to this movie. Like, it was it was very hard not to shake what I just saw there. And as much as I liked the actual design of the stuff they did in Wakanda Forever, like just as far as a technical standpoint, Avatar 2 looked better. Yeah. 100%. yeah. Um, can I just ask how this is doing domestic, um, domestically? Yeah, how this is doing in the box office domestically for you guys? Uh, let's go to... Uh box office mojo and check and see if we can check on uh expected to hit 300 million is what i read like an hour three? before the podcast okay uh three are you sure about that 300 internet oh, that, that must oh, be worldwide that's got to be oh, worldwide. worldwide yeah worldwide okay oh do we think this one's gonna hit a billion Right now, uh, worldwide it is on box office mojo it's saying 114 million in the U.S. Yeah, for domestic. Let's look for all territories. Uh, no, worldwide, 114 million. Huh. What's the weekend is done? Yeah, I'll have to look at that. What is the Rotten Tomatoes at currently? 84%. Um, and then 95% audience score. Okay. 
Yeah. Deadline is projecting 175 to 185 for U.S. Okay. It's doing decent numbers. I'm reading that deadline article now, too. That's where it's at now, it looks like. It's still not oh. including Sunday. Oh, shit. Is it there now? Oh, oh, that's like the worldwide number, I see. I got it. Yeah, deadline is still predicting that it's heading towards 300 million by the end of the weekend, from what I'm reading. Worldwide, yeah. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah. Highest November opening. I would love for it to hit a billion. My only fear is that Avatar is going to undercut it because that's coming out in December. Yeah. That's a, what, a month, over a month away, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it is December, and I feel like that's going to really undercut some of. Uh, it's got Thanksgiving in its favor. Thanksgiving's like the second or third biggest movie holiday, and this movie's going to have legs too. Like I think because it's like it's a film that actually attracts people that don't rush out to the the first weekend. Well, what what they need to do is they need to fucking say that this movie is not going to be made available forty five whatever days on Disney Plus. Yeah, I was just about to say that too. There's also the Disney Plus factor. They need to knock that shit off. That just needs to go away. They need to knock it off. I know that fucking Joe loves that shit, and Nana, you probably love it too. But you guys, you're part of the problem. You're killing the movie theater. I I I, I always go see things in the cinema. uh, the only other side thing I was gonna say is that I, I hope this has like the same kind of cultural significance. Um, I want to say for the no, I'm gonna say Latina community. Um, um again, is it Mexican? What? What? Um, You're cancelled. Get out of here, man. <laughs> 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 he wants the Mesopotamians get some, get some more respect. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. I, I know exactly what you're saying, thank, Anna. I thank, feel that- thank you, Jake, for helping me out. Trying to get me cancelled and shit. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying, Nana. And yeah, I, I hope that the Latinx community and all feel the same sense of pride with yeah. Telecon and Nemo and Namor and their representation that we got to feel the first mm. time we saw Wakanda and Black Panther. I hope they get that same sense of pride. And that same sense yeah. of fulfillment that we got. Yes. Thank you for making my statement sound so much smarter than that. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing I will add is um, if I remember back during the filming of this movie and all this stuff, all that little, um, the little bit of controversy we started to hear around Letitia Wright with things on set or some of the stuff she was saying around during the time of COVID and I'm happy to see to see that a lot of that appears to have just gone by the wayside and hopefully some of that will just be lost in her excellent performance in this film. Yeah, I know there was some talk at some point that, you know, she might have been written out of it and that, you know, there was speculation that M'Baku was going to replace her and all that stuff. I'm, I'm glad to see that that isn't happening and hopefully that she'll just be appreciated for the performance that she gave in this film i think Uh, what marvel is saying uh in response to all that is uh hey she's not ezra miller that's that's ezra miller though (laughs) (laughs) refusing a vax is better than body slamming women and all the other things that he did 
Right. <laughs> yeah. No, she was great in this movie, and uh, she really sold me on her Black Panther upon the second viewing. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of her as the Black Panther. So. Do you like do you like her, her kind of like sleek kind of build like that she's kind of carrying with it? Yeah, They're not bulking her up. Yeah, I do like that, and I also like that she still had a little bit of the. Uh, was it a good choice to have the gold from Killmonger in the suit? Is that like, I, was that a good choice? Yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I like didn't it. mind it. I, I, I like I think it too. That she has to be a little different from T'Challa. That she like, I, I would think it'd be great if she has a little bit of a dark side to her. Yeah, yeah. No, I was yeah, just, but, I was asking. Know, also, I liked it. I liked it. Go ahead, Joe. Well, she had made that suit that that Killmonger was wearing because remember at the beginning of that movie, uh, T'Challa chose the one that he that he chose, but the other one was still there. So it's like you know she made that before she ever even knew who Killmonger was. Yeah, but like there's this there is this kind of like you know choice that she made this suit and it it's reflecting of you know that that of those colors, right? So yeah, and and really it works them- thematically in as well that she pulled Killmonger when she went to the the ancestral plane and that she was really mirroring or mirroring his same rage. Yeah. So yeah, I, I yeah. like that. Nakia asked her twice and she still has not told anybody she saw Killmonger. Yeah. Why not? She's say ashamed of it. She's exactly. Like, hey, no. It's gotta be shame, right? Yeah. Shame. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else saw somebody that they were happy over that they were proud of. Whereas she saw the dude that almost wrecked their kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh-huh. like I wouldn't expect her to come. What's back your problem with that stuff? <laughs> um, it was just a, like a lot of what <laughs> Stephanie's gonna be like low tasted. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's like watching Stephanie is like trying to watch like the Weather Channel. It's always changing. <laughs> I-, I agree. Like, I I agree that it's probably some form of shame, but I think what Killmonger says to her when she's, when they're having this conversation is reiterate that he didn't cause the problem. Her father did. And I don't, and I feel like they all kind I thought at this point we all, I'm not saying her dad was a bad guy or anything, but I think at this point, are we still, are we still is like, is the, is do, do audience still think that Killmonger is a problem? Like Killmonger wasn't, he, he caused, he, he was an issue but he wasn't the cause of the issue. Like I still like, did he, he burned all of the, the, he burned all of the heart shaped herb. Yeah. Yeah. But other than, I mean, and that was part of the reason she couldn't save her brother, but he, I don't know. Killmonger to me, isn't really a problem. I I don't think Shuri's taking into account what the audiences think of Killmonger. I think she's taking into, into account what her, what her family thinks of him. And I mean, it's a personal thing, I think, who you talk to. And I, Nikia should back off if she didn't want to tell her what's up. Yeah. I mean, the I way the wondering. audience. The, go ahead. Go ahead, Nana. I was wondering if Nikia was asking that because she wanted to know if, like, T'Challa was in that set. That's exactly why she yeah. asked. She was and, like. And, 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 and that's what her. I think she needed that for because I don't think she got her closure because she didn't go to the funeral. So I think she wanted to know. And, um, yeah, that's why she was asking for it. She, I, oh, okay, I will agree that she was asking 
to she was asking because she wanted to know if she got a chance to speak with her brother. But in that mid credit scene, she did say that her and Tucson had prepared for his death. And they had their own version of a funeral and ceremony before he, you know, before before that, after he died. So they had their own version of a funeral there in Haiti. So um, I think there was some closure there. Okay. Yeah, I, I think she just kind of didn't want to tell it because, like I said, it was Killmonger. And to the audience, Killmonger may be a bit of a gray character, but to the Wakandans, he's probably still seen very much as a villainous person to them. He's, I would think he wouldn't. I mean, to to Shuri, though, I'm speaking specifically, like he even says to her in the conversation, like his delivery was trash. But like, I think when they were having the conversation and he says to her, like, that it wasn't me. Your dad killed his brother. Like your brother is the one who kept like vibranium from the world. Like I'm not necessarily the reason why things began to crumble i don't necessarily so i i'm not even speaking about what the audience thinks she is aware now i'm not saying she has just lost her mother her brother has passed away not to say that all of those things aren't factors but she's also a very Mm -hmm. logical person and so knowing that like and i think part of that did resonate with her when he said that yeah she's yeah she's a logical person but in that emotional state right there she's probably not really trying to hear all that She's probably just looking at him like, yo, what the fuck are you doing up in my mama throne? You mm. kill Maga. You almost killed my brother. You burned up my shit. My whole fam- <laughs> the whole kingdom had to fight you. And like, like think about like, think about think about Queen Ramona's re- like reaction to Okoye coming back and not having Shuri with her. And she, you know, like she, you know, she didn't want her to go anyway. And now she's been holding on. She's been harboring some anger against Okoye for like, you know you know, siding with the Panther. Like, even though that was her duty is to be loyal to the Panther, she was definitely harboring some anger and she let it out on Okoye in that moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Shuri loved her mother. So I'm sure that, you know, there's definitely some, uh, some bad, you know, bad blood. Yeah. Yeah, That was very harsh on Okoye because, like uh, Mbaku said in like the first movie, like was it murder or did he get defeated in trial by combat? Like you can't really have traditions that you stick to mm-hmm. and then pick and choose when it applies. So it w- it was a bit deep for her to be still feeling salty over that. Like I get the emotion, but like it w- it was harsh in my opinion. I get, I dude, I get it, I get it. But I was like watching that first Black Panther movie when they sided with him. I was mad at the Dora Milaje, <laughs> so I kind of understood where Queen Ramondo was coming from when she was kind of snapping off at Okoye there. But when it was happening, like it was like for as much as I wanted this to happen in the first movie, now I'm seeing it happen. I felt bad for Okoye, so <laughs> it was it was it, it was like it, it was like that for me. So, yeah, but it was a, a a very human reaction. Yes, it was. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. All righty, let's end this fucker. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I want to thank I want to thank uh, everybody uh, for honestly having seven people on this on this podcast i think like this is the the best 
we've ever done with like really not like talking over one another. This is fantastic. I feel like a teacher complimenting her class on being <laughs> on being on, on being very uh, you know uh, obedient and and quiet and good w- when they had like a guest speaker come in. You know what I mean? Like the guest speaker leaves and then the teacher's like, "You guys were great today." You got. We're gonna have. We're gonna have extended recess tomorrow. Good job, guys. We're gonna have a pizza party on Friday. Um, a movie day. Yeah, we're gonna watch a movie. No, you guys did great. I want to thank everybody. <laughs> Tristan, I'm a ridiculous human being, aren't I? Um, uh, quite, yeah, totally. Thank you, Tristan. That's. <laughs> Tristan's like Brian. Your existence baffles me. Um, <laughs> Tristan, we, you know, I'm not even going to ask where people can find you. I got myself in trouble. <laughs> you can find me exclusively here. On- <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you can find me exclusively here with Colonizer Brian. <laughs> Anyway, Joe, thank you so much, man. Where can people find Joe Stark? Yeah, you can check out my podcast, Starkcast, having long-form conversations with people. New episodes drop every Saturday. We've got Stephanie. Stephanie, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on the Cinecast and on PopCultureLeftovers.com. And Dre, where can people find you? You can find me on PCW, that's Podcast Championship Wrestling, where we talk about the latest happenings going on in the wrestling world. There you go. A lot of wrestling fans out there. You want a wrestling podcast? Check out PCW. And Wayne, frequent guest on PCL as of late, is also on that podcast. So check it out. Nana, you've been doing a podcast. How long have you been doing Blurds R Us? Um, I think five years, maybe. Dude, I feel like it's longer. No, I don't know. Man. I feel like it's been five years. Five years, half a decade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. I I call you guys our like spiritual ancestors. <laughs> you know what's wild? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a weird thing to call us. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit uncomfortable by that. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, what's wild is that Nana didn't find us. He found us through another podcast. He found us through listening to Aaron Aaron's podcast uh, back when he was doing nerd porn, which makes yeah. me wonder how Nana found nerd porn. What were you looking? How did? What were you looking up to find nerd porn? Wait, it was a cold, windy evening. I need to say for my ears. <laughs> Na- Nana was feeling lonely that night. <laughs> Needed something to keep him warm. But no, man, I'm I'm so glad that you found us through nerd porn. I don't care how you fucking found us, uh, whether it's through another podcast. I'm just glad you found us. I'm glad we got to have you on this episode. But uh, what do you guys do over there at Blurds R Us? Again, as always, I'm honored to get the invite to be on PCL and to get the invitation to be back, especially when my audio has not been the greatest it could be. Um, we at Blurs R Us, we're generally a weekly uh, podcast talking TV shows, movies, anime and gaming. Um, for those of you not left over army, I'm a massive fan of anime and I enjoy talking to 
different people on anime. Um, so yeah, come over, check us out. If you enjoy, stick around. There you go. Check it out. Uh, guys, we will be back next week with a regular episode. And uh, thank you so much for listening to our Black Panther Wakanda Forever spoiler episode. I think the next movie, what's the next movie we're going to be reviewing? Probably Avatar, The Way of Water, Jake? Avatar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, it'll probably go about an hour, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I, like I said in a previous episode, I think that'll be our first movie podcast where it's actually shorter than the movie. You can already hear Jake like halfway out the door on this one, right? <laughs> oh, no, I don't, I don't think I sound like that. I was a, a little bit stumbling with my words there, but. No, I it, yeah. it felt like you had already like walked out of the house. You're in the car and you're halfway on your way to Steak and Shake. No, I, I am still I am still in my living room. If you want to stop down and do avatar predictions for another hour, I'm your man. Picked <laughs> a lot of blue. Oh my god, if Tobias Funke shows up in the movie and says I blew myself, that'll be <laughs> I just want to see a never nude in Avatar the way of All right, thank you guys. We'll see you next week later y'all thanks for listening to pop culture leftovers congratulations i don't know how you did it i couldn't do it you people need a t-shirt saying i just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap anyway if you'd like to reach the pop culture leftovers cast you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com you can also follow them on twitter at pc leftovers or like their facebook page they'd love to hear from you They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture pushovers. Pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. I've already been done before, so we should Separate the wheat from the shaft And we're the shaft of crap, even though we're the shit Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap! Good it, toss it, good it, taste it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover Counterculture pushover Pop culture leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers We love it, hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture pushovers, pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, pretty sure the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture leftovers.
Leftovers.